ladies and gentlemen, this is Orson Welles. I'm here to introduce the second episode of the Ballyboo. It contains, of course, strong language, strong thematic content, terrible imitations of radio and television and film figures such as myself, and an unbashed love of Hollywood's golden age. It also contains more of me, Orson Welles. Yes, my friend William Allen not only worked with me in the Mercury Theater, but a party that I was present at was the genesis for this very film we are about to talk about today. And, as you can tell, I have no problem inserting me into the proceedings. Ah, yes, useless minutia, terrifying non sequitur, all the terrifying, glorious things one will find when stuck inside the Ballyboo. <laughs> Yesteryear, Ballyhoo Review. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome, welcome, welcome to the Yester Bally Boo Review. Many great sights await inside the picture palace of the past, most of them terrifying, most of them shocking beyond all belief, and we have plenty of ways to talk about those gruesome things inside. So hurry and get your seats. Tonight, the Ballyhoo takes a cruise down the Amazon River, where we will encounter what native peoples call the Black Lagoon. They say it is a paradise, but no one has come back alive to prove it. Once there, we will be submerged into the terror from a being deep at the bottom of the lagoon, an evolutionary link between the sea dwellers and the land mammal, who has not met Sally Hawkins yet, but can remember a floating Julie Adams swimming above in scandalous swimwear. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, the Gill Man comes before the Ballyboo as we unveil Jack Arnold's 1954 classic, Creature from the Black Lagoon. So see the show and stay behind for a discussion to delight the earbuds. couldn't explain it, but there it was, alive, in the deep, deep waters of the Amazon, a throwback to a creature that had existed a hundred million years ago, immensely strong and destructive. A woman's beauty, the bait that brought it out of its lair. See underwater thrills never photographed before. See titanic underwater battles never dreamed of before, in this most terrifying of the science fiction adventures. (laughs) 
Now that you've seen the show, we will get to the talk of the day. Yes, in 1954, Jack Arnold's entry into the world of gods and monsters was unleashed before a public hungry for terror in no less than three dimensions. Yet, whether you were fortunate enough to have those glasses or not, the creature left its mark in the world in ways that could not be conceived by most people at the time. It's a film whose creation would become the subject of a historical injustice and would also usher in one of the most marketable and long-lasting horror figures to this day. Because who would have thought that this simple tale of a monster would soar throughout the decades up to the most recent past and bring the monster genre the establishment prestige it so justly deserved? But we've talked a lot about the buildup here, but let's get into it. Just how has Creature from the Black Lagoon influenced the modern film world beyond an obvious factor that was previously mentioned? And how has its behind-the-scenes stories played heavily into the cultural shakeup that is so justly needed? To answer that, we need the help of two ladies who have already displayed their knowledge about human monsters like George Minifer and can now be heard expounding the virtues of, ver of cinema's essentials on their wonderful show, Required Viewing. Please welcome back to the show, Aaron Mullane and Chloe Riggs. Hi, Zach. Hello. Hi, Zach. Is this where you insert the applause? Yes, 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 cool. applause. Because we're back, baby. Yeah, and then we got a really great show today. The, uh, Aaron Mullane and Chloe Riggs are coming on board. And then later we're going to have Don Rickles. So stay tuned for more. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. Ooh, Welcome I'm back. Excited. Excited. Music. Yes. I'm excited to be back and uh, kicking off Bally Boo again yes. this year. You, is, you yeah. started it. Now you'll finish it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like that. This um, is my first Bally Boo. Welcome to the Bally Boo. This is uh, the Yesteryear Ballyhoo review, essentially, but with the word boo instead <laughs> of boo. We were prior to this coming, trying to come up with like alternate ones, but I, it, the boo just works. Yes, the boo, the boo. <laughs> The you, boo works. The boo works. Boo to you. You gotta be real careful. If we say boo too much, I feel like it's gonna have a racist connotation. No, we need to start what I down. do, all I think about is you. No, don't remember that one. Yeah, no, I, I, I do. It, it, it plays in most. It, it plays in most retail stores uh, when you're. Yeah. So you're shopping in Target for toilet paper, and you go, "When I think about you." Oh. Yes! Oh my god, you fucking nailed that fucking yes! You nailed that shit! Oh my god! <laughs> you really did. You fucking crushed that. That ladies was the and, ladies best. and gentlemen, this is Orson Welles. A terrifying thing has happened. Some oh, young shit. white man in the middle of Denver oh. has been able to hit the high pitch so justly needed to cover this song. Oh, More at eleven. Even so with funny. with my belly boo. And that was not the same. Dude, it's the acoustics. It's the acoustics. That's what it, you like. Oh. Lean is the perfect ceilings. thing, and you're like. You know, oh. I, 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 I got it one more time. Oh, that's yeah, fucking it. There we go. <laughs> there we go. Oh so funny. Now, um, let's get this off the bat. Uh, since your <laughs> since your uh, last appearance on the the Ballyhoo, uh, things have been gaining momentum in required viewing land. Um, oh, you yeah. were doing genres. Uh, no, you were doing decades for a minute, and then you were doing genres, and now you're up to directors. Like, I don't remember when we were on last. <laughs> you were on uh, back for the magnificent I mean, Ambersons. Yes, but when was that? What what were what we day were doing? Was I'm that? To uh, it, we were. It, it was on Flabber. Was it genres? It was we were doing genres at Yeah, that point. you were at genres. So this year... Oh, no. It was in April. Yes. Because it was after the fire. Yes. We were in genres yes. in April. Mm -hmm. So definitely uh -huh. genres. So now we're in directors. Mm -hmm. 
We've covered some pretty fantastic epic directors so far. Uh, you helped us cover one of our directors. Yes. Tim this, Boyton. No, no, no. no. Mel Brooks. Uh, Mel Brooks. Oh, yeah. It's confusing because I was on the Mel Brooks one with Tyler Maybe, and then I uh, produced the recording for Tim Burton with Zach Bynes. You produced that episode. Well, but you I also mean, Mel part- Brooks produces you, things, so do I. You also participated a bit. Yeah. Too. So technically, <laughs> yeah, technically, so I know, but his episode was the Mel Brooks. Yeah. Yes. yes but yeah. you, you have to understand. And I told Zach Bynes this after you guys left. I was just like, you don't understand, dude. Like I, I loved and adored Tim Burton growing up in high school. And so the three movies that you picked, I was just like, I have like a whole dissertation. Please, please. No, I know. I know. I, it's, I love it. So, okay. We're going to have our first tangent. I like, yeah. That's I our loved, show. <laughs> loved Tim Burton so much in middle school and high school and like even into early college. It was in an embarrassing amount. I had. Did yeah. you have a so hot topic cre- merch? Did you have a hot topic credit card? Thank God not. I was not allowed. <laughs> I get three cents Jesus. on the dollar for that. I'm Tim Burton. Yeah. No. <laughs> and then he just sold the fuck out. Yeah. He got lumpy. So we'll see what happens with Wednesday. I would like for him to redeem himself and have like a good second go where he's going to try to reinvent himself and maybe put some more people of color in his world of black and white because it's basically what he draws in. I, I used think, to have his children's book. I uh, think that he Stain needs- Boy. Do you remember Stain Boy? Yeah. yeah. But the children's book was called The Adventures of Stain. Uh, Stick Boy and Match Girl. Yep, Stick Boy and Match Girl. I remember that. And it was all really fucked up fairy tales. Yeah. That he yeah. wrote. That seems like but, the thing for you. I would venture to say that him and Jordan Peele should sit in a room and they can figure out how to get more people of color into Tim Burton's You know, I films. bet today's film probably influenced him greatly. I wouldn't be surprised if The Black Lagoon uh, it affected Tim Burton. I mean, he grew he, up in Burbank. He grew up around that kind of monster movie era. Just post it, I my, guess. My mom told me not to go in the pool because there would be Black Lagoon creatures. Down he does there. seem like a whiny kid. He does. He was probably like a really whiny snotty. Guy I love. I love Tim Burton. Probably scoffed a lot. My my impression of Tim Burton, I think, accidentally comes from Kevin Smith's uh, impression of Tim Burton, and then <laughs> we hate movies doing Tim Burton. That's so, so funny, yeah. Because the Kevin Smith one is, I'm an artist. <laughs> um, but uh, it wouldn't surprise me if Tim Burton was influenced by today's film because his the monster influence on him was prevalent. Um, the horror genre you itself is prevalent. You can see that, yeah. Yeah. Um, but this film is also influential in a number of ways down from marketing on to prestige but let's talk about our first experiences with it when was the first time you guys saw this film ages ago like childhood i like so yeah i would say childhood is a good halloween tcm played all of the universal movies Mm -hmm. and if you were a kid that grew up in the 90s you probably watched tcm at the halloween times yeah because that's, I mean, before 10, definitely. Probably yeah. between 6 and 8. So My parents probably wouldn't right have shown it to bed. me before 6. But, I mean, if you were a kid in the 80s and the 90s living in L.A., 
but also too, my dad worked for Universal and he did special effects makeup and he did that. And so Halloween's at our house were bitching. Nice. Um, he was a Planet of the Ape. He was an ape from the Planet of the Apes and he had spent so much time on his mask and getting it all fitted and the makeup right that then he just slept on a leather jacket and jeans and he was like, I'm a modern ape. <laughs> oh my God. I was like, okay, cool. But that was how I got introduced to all those sort of classic quintessential universal monsters or creatures. Yeah. Um, for me, this was later. This was not. This was really? not my go-to. Uh, I stuck with Boris, Bella, Claude. Oh, I will say it's definitely not the top of. But when they played those big movie marathons, we would just stay up late and watch all of them. You Here, know? Here's the thing, though. It is for me. It is a top tier one. It's just that it's hard because it came after the Universal Monster Run is seemingly done, because the. The origin points of it being in 31 with Dracula and Frankenstein in the same year. Then you have a run. Then it kind of dies because the code combined with Britain not really accepting horror movies for a little bit because of the uh, there was a there's a scare of that. They instituted the H rating and there was this misunderstanding between that announcement and the U.S. distributors going like, well, they're not accepting any more horror movies, so we, we won't be marketable. Um, so but. There's this dip period. Then they go back up thanks to the double bill of Dracula, Frankenstein, and uh, at times a triple bill with those in Sung Kong at the Regina Theater in New York, which then kicks off this universal monster bonanza of let's make more of these films. It starts kind of with Son of Frankenstein. Then you get Tower of London. Return of the, the Invisible Man. Returns. This is also the push that leads us up to the most ridiculous Dracula movies of the sixties. Yes, <laughs> which is well, not where my mind was Lee. going. Yeah, you, well, you said Tower of London, and I immediately thought, uh, "Ooh, werewolves of London." Warren yeah. Zevon hates that song, and he doesn't want to play it anymore. Yeah, I don't blame him. <laughs> <laughs> he wants to never sing that song. Again. I understand. The Dracula. The there is like the one exception. There is the one exception of Dracula. Dracula's daughter kind of like seemingly sort of ends the first period to a certain degree in my mind. But you also have a uh, werewolf of London with Henry Hull. Mm -hmm. uh, but then you have the kickoff period after that triple bill at the Regina theater with, with son of Frankenstein tower, London, uh, some invisible man sequels. We finally get the wolf man. Then we start dipping into the monster rallies, house of Frankenstein, house of Dracula. Um, uh, then we get into seemingly its final phase, which is the Abbott and Costello meet <laughs> Frankenstein. Okay, but Invisible that was Man. amazing, and I love it is. all you, of it them. Is. You love you Abbott Costello, you're biased. Okay, but they were genuinely fucking funny. Yeah, they're genuinely and they amazing. They were obviously like, let's get more merch, let's well, pull yeah, out more sure. money from this, but it was still fucking funny. Also, yeah. Dracula Costello meet Frankenstein is brilliant still to this day. Show me it. Because we watch Hold That Ghost, but I'll watch the other one. It's also, Dracula's daughter sounds like a porno. Am I wrong? Well, <laughs> funny right? enough. The movie right? does. Have you ever seen Dracula's daughter? <laughs> Is it a porno? No, but it does trend into lesbian territory um, and, and LGBTQ subject matter. That for the sounds era. like Every, a porno. It's Dracula. Everything's vaguely sexual in Dracula. Yeah. We just covered Francis Ford Coppola. We watched Dracula, mm -hmm. the Bronx Joker one. We found a way that to watch Dracula. Soft, <laughs> that one is a softcore porn. <laughs> it is. <laughs> Not safe for work. But 
then, but then that's when we, but Abbott and Costello is key to keeping them relevant. But Creature from the Black Lagoon is not really coming out of a cycle. It's coming out of the mind of William Allen, who's just creating content for Universal. William Allen is a producer. He worked with Orson Welles and the Mercury Theater. He is the reporter, uh, 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 Thompson, who, uh, is, no, I'm sorry, not in Thompson, sorry. Alan's the reporter in Citizen Kane that you don't see his face. Oh, okay, okay. okay. He produced the movie we're talking about today. All right. He started off producing, though, films like It Came From Outer Space. Yeah. Which was also directed by Jack Arnold. And prior to that, he was doing some westerns. Now, the story for this film comes from Alan himself. He was at a dinner party, as it so happens, like you do in your most of your days. Naturally, when I was at my dinner party in Ecuador last week. Yes. And of course, at that Ecuadorian dinner party that you were at, Chloe, you had Orson Welles, Dolores Del Rio, and Gabriela Figueroa. Uh, yes, they did. Yeah. So Figueroa started recounting this tale of a creature, half man, half fish, who lives in a river near a village on the Amazon. And once a year, it would come out of the Amazon River, claim a maiden, and then return to the Amazons for another year, and the village would be safe for that year. And everybody around the table was just like, well, this is crazy. And Figueroa was just going like, no, it happened. There are photographs. I'll show you. (laughs) I have a stupid theory. No, no theory is stupid. When we're talking about a Gilman, <laughs> he's just a creature living in a van down by the river. In a van down by the river. I mean, it really was kind of an epic journey to get to his like little underwater hut. Thing. Is is underwater? Is what? <laughs> do, do you think there is a deleted scene where Chris Farley is hitching up his pants right next to Gilman? No, I think Gilman is the motivational speaker. <laughs> He's taking one lucky lady to go get an underwater sea <laughs> academy education. <laughs> he does not there's, eat her. It's an academy. It's a secret academy. He could there, not eat her. It could be he's an like Doctor X. There's a- oh my god! <laughs> and he just kidnaps yes, these ladies and he's going to teach them his fishy ways, and then he releases them every oh year. <laughs> it's like um, he doesn't eat them, which is. Definitely what he probably fucking does. All right. Or he's out there going, do you love me? Could you learn to love me? <laughs> I love me. I love me so much. And then he starts dancing to, right. to buy horses. Um, that, but I'm now just picturing that shot of the gill man breathing and his lips moving. Yeah. And then we the were sub- talking about that the on subtitle the, at the, the subtitle at the bottom will now say, a van down by the river. Exactly. Oh my God. Um, okay, merch ideas. <laughs> ooh, I, I mean, I'm just saying. I live... <laughs> Guillermo del Toro was just like, we couldn't have him live in a van down by the river in the shape of water. (laughs) (laughs) Would have been too much. Um, Now, so this idea sticks in Alan's mind for over 10 years. And then it starts percolating again when he's going to work at at Universal. Uh, For more details on Universal at this time, you can listen to our Incredible Shrinking Man episode with Smokey and Ben Taylorson. Uh, so this is kind of a Jack Arnold month in secret. And okay. Orson Welles 
pops up again in next week's episode. So it's just a big old. We're fond. It's an, we're fond of him. It's we an are. incestuous situation going on at the Ballyboo this this year. Um, wow, it sounds like some eyes wide shut shit. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yes, I, I do remember Orson Welles coming up to me yesterday as we were planning this and going, Fidelio. <laughs> um, now, he he comes up with the concept as a three-page treatment called The Sea Monster, and his treatment starts off with the dinner conversation that he remembered. Oh my then God. it turns into the adventure. And the original treatment bore immense resemblance to King Kong as it had the involvement of a blonde object of desire and the creature being captured and taken back to society yeah. and then wreaking havoc on a small seaport town. And yeah, why do they bring them back? That, why do they always bring the monsters I back? I was waiting. I was going to bring this up like a little later on in the episode, but it just seems like the right moment now. The white people are the problem. Oh, yeah, they are. <laughs> we discussed this last time while we were watching it when you were at gonna... fucking length. Like, these white people show up. The lady is the only one that says anything smart in the whole one hour and 19 minutes of this fucking movie. And they're like, and Shut up, you're just being delirious. Then they're you're like, on your oh, period. you're hysterical. You're a woman. Right. And she's like, okay, you guys, whatever. You're just on your period. Go away. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then they're like, it's just all chest beating and penis sizing. They just want to, like, show off to each other. Uh, I'm sorry, that's harpoon gun sizing. Okay. I was going to say King Konging if they're beating on their yes. chest. It's oh. all. It's all. Yeah. That King Kong ain't got nothing on you. Now, yeah. training day references are so oh relevant God, today. So um, <laughs> <laughs> now, what if he said, Donkey Kong ain't got shit on me? <laughs> I would love to have Denzel Washington fighting Donkey Kong <laughs> in that training be... day, too. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Anton Fuqua needs some money, and he says, what if we take this corrupt cop oh <laughs> and oh, stick him in the video game Donkey Kong? <laughs> Um, now, so you said white people are the problem. Well, they usually oh, are. Yeah, they showed up and they ruined I, everything. Okay, there this was a is system. again not a Remember, visual medium. This is an academy. He is Doctor X of the jungle, and like he's <laughs> it's Professor X. You know what I meant. Well, Doctor X is 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 developing some form of mystery out in the. In, it's in, the in wish house. version of Professor X. It's oh the, my god! Yeah, <laughs> it's the wish version of Professor X. So this film is approved, but it goes through Maurice Zim for the initial treatment. And then it gets sort of reshaped over time. The initial, uh, the initial film had the trappings of the King Kong narrative, but Dr. Reed was a little bit more front and center the hero because i'd argue that this film splits into two heroes then we get a clear hero by the end which is reed but williams is making a play for the gung-ho hero and the interesting part of that ends up being that he is a traditional masculine figure and yet the film has no problem calling him an asshole whenever it's needed yeah <laughs> like it's it's the film is actually very self-aware which i appreciate about that with the eventual like the way this film like comes about in the writing process. That's well, how I you don't like, get canceled. Yeah. Well, I feel like the, <laughs> where this comes in the line of the quote unquote universal monsters is really important to the tone of the film. Yeah. Like the, 
the pure production quality is spectacular can, compared to Dracula yeah. from 1931. And the way the way they speak to each other is a little bit more fluid. And I don't know. It's just a more polished version. It's not an older Hungarian they, man. What yeah. they could have, have been able to do if they could have been able to do it in 1931. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the thing that I find interesting is is that because we get a sympathetic monster out of this yes it, it means that for f- no matter what time period it's made it's always going to belong in this canon because we're still in the golden age of hollywood we're still on the cusp of things coming out with the abbott and costello series the series isn't done yet so this does fall in line I could see somebody being a jerk and being like, that's not a real universal monster. It came too late. And it's just like, well, Dude, no. this just sounds like Marvel <laughs> and like DC Comics. Yeah, like just getting angry. Like, this is not part of this lore. And it's just like, it's make-believe. It doesn't really matter. I definitely <laughs> feel like it fits in with the rest of them. Though, oh, yeah, no. Mm-hmm. It really boils down to the fact that this monster is sympathetic yeah. and relatable. And... I, I gills and all. Yeah, gills and well, all. He's still relatively anthropomorphic. Yeah, you know he's got a human shape and general size, and albeit covered he in scales. He looks like a Meyer lurk if you play Fallout. Yeah, no, I've never played Fallout. Really? No, I don't play video games. I mean, I just play very choice video games because it's very time consuming and I have too much shit to do. Yeah, no, no, um, that's that's there's like just play- too much shit. To, we're literally selling all of our games right now, but like I'm keeping certain things because I just really like, like the lore of it. Yeah, yeah. no, it's I, like yeah. a good game. It's yeah, fun. I totally I like get it. it. Dude, also, I'm preparing for a, the end of the world. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. There should be a Universal Creatures video game series. Ooh, where you get cool. to be kind like, of like the creatures. Uh, what's that one that everybody likes? The Disney uh, one. Oh, uh, Magic uh, Kingdom. Magic Hearts. Kingdom. Oh, yeah. No, King, Kingdom Hearts. Kingdom Hearts. So. Kingdom, Hearts. Kingdom Hearts. I was thinking separate ones. I was I no. Would, I'm just but, saying that would be the kind of style that I could I was, imagine. I yeah. was thinking DC Injustice too, where they yeah. have like all the characters kind of smooshed into places. Yeah. yeah. But, or you do a and you, you get to play as Bud and Lou. Yeah. Oh my god. Oh. Oh my god. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and they have to take periodic no, drinks in their flasks the, 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 to keep going. The 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 play the gameplay uh the the the, the gameplay interstitials have him going like now get over there and then it's just Lou fighting him yeah and yeah. then you hear throughout the game what do I do what do I do jab him jab him <laughs> I'm jabbing him I'm jabbing him as best as I can. <laughs> Oh my god! And then That's you have so Claude funny. Rains in a video game. That would be amazing. That would be Claude a good Rains time. in a video game. I say, press up, down, up, down, up, down. Like I want a Centaurian voice telling me that the controller moves. I need to unlock a cheat code. If you happen to play as Bella Lugosi and Boris Karloff, there will be times where there's cutscenes where you guys just fight each other. Yeah, dude. <laughs> Hell yeah. And then like stage lights are crashing We're down. trademarking like, this. No one can steal this brilliant idea. Or cut all this shit out and hit <laughs> until. Can I buy more health pack at the store? <laughs> How many PS <laughs> is the PlayStation store selling more DLCs? <laughs> are these needles 
fresh. <laughs> oh. And the creature from the Black Lagoon. We just watched Ed Wood, man. We did just yes. watch Ed Wood. Ed Wood is an amazing film. It's the creature from the Black Lagoon would be like the healer person. Yes, he would be he, the healer. He would person. be the healer. Ooh, you're you're and you're also skipping I played a lot of D&D too. And you're skipping ahead to uh, a certain movie by a certain Mr. Del Toro. But not yet. Well, so uh, Maurice Sims' treatment is then polished up into the script we know and love by Harry Essex and Arthur Ross. Um, then we get into the design of the creature. Now, uh, we've talked about the legendary Jack Pierce before on this show. Well, he's been ousted. He's, he's, a, he's an old timer. He's done. He's using <laughs> all these practical <coughs> building up makeups, using fucking, fucking uh, collodion and cotton and shit. No rubber appliances bro and you know who's gonna step in and do that bud westmore bud westmore has at this point become the head of the universal makeup department and among the people that he has on his team that contribute heavily to creature from the black lagoon is guys get ready for this a woman Nice. What? A woman. Bravo. A woman. No way. Yes, I know. I don't believe it. I know. I was told by my dad, my not my dad, my great granddad, my great 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 granddad that women couldn't do anything. Well, that's not true. That's not are true. we talking about Millicent Patrick? We are. Yeah. Yay! Very good. Now, uh, coming up next on the show, we've got uh, Ed McMahon here is going to balance an apple on his head while I shoot it off with an arrow. Stick out. More to come. Yay, um, more Ed McMahon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. More Johnny Carson on this show, please. Um, now, Millicent Patrick is essential to Creature from the Black Lagoon lore, but how, what's she doing on Bud Westmore's team? Well, Quentin Tarantino is going to help us rewind the clock and uh, take us and back. make your rewind sound. <laughs> 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 like, I don't know. You put me on the spot. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, you have so many good rewinds. <laughs> rewind sounds. So yeah, yeah, we've gone funny. back. It's, it's it's picture yourself in 1915 in El Paso, Texas, and you hear a twangy Fuck guitar. no. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so awful. No offense. What? What if to I, anybody in El Paso? But what if I told you your name was Mildred Elizabeth Fulvia De Rossi? Ah, uh, you could stop at Mildred. I'd probably <laughs> not want to continue on. Right. Like right. Mildred. Do you wish to continue on this quest? No. no. I call myself Millie De Rossi. <laughs> Millie De Rossi. Ah, that would be a cool See. stage name. Oh Millie man, she missed an opportunity. Yeah, right? she did. Well, you know, but she, name changes are in her future. So. Her father was actually the superintendent of construction at Sam Simeon, the island which held the castle for one William Randolph Hearst, or as Orson Welles calls him, the guy I made fun of on screen. Look at what I did to him and his girlfriend. It's Kane. <laughs> yes. It was like a really expensive fuck you. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's but that's how fuck you money works. With yeah. Rich people. Yeah. You do it like you literally like you'll buy them the most expensive expensive bottle of champagne at the restaurant if you see them there and then they're like oh it's from that table and they're just like and they're like ah but then they still got the most expensive bottle of champagne in there yeah for free (laughs) rich people Yes. Yeah. They play games we and, we and, not we do not understand. And Hearst played the most incompre- incomprehensible games in human history with his money, not the least of which building a fucking castle uh, that was never ending and contained all of his yeah. fucking art pieces and shit. <sighs> um, now the family moved to Sim- San Simeon when she was six, and she actually grew close with Millicent Hearst. 
uh, aka not Marion Davies, uh, to um, who uh, became very inspirational to her and would end up being responsible for the name change to Millicent. Um, there were strains in her mother and father's relationship, though, and her mother, Julia, convinced the Hearst that her, her husband be removed from the project. So then they settle in Glendale. Uh, time goes uh, on. Yeah. yeah, Glendale, a.k.a. where I was born. So that's uh, always fun to know that Glendale has some representation going on. In it ain't no one horse town as uh, three uh, as, horses, as at Luke Costello three. told me. No, <laughs> we have at least four in Glendale. Um, and now, a half? And a, well, we don't talk about the, the half horse. Half. We can't no. talk about the half horse. No mini horses? No, no mini no horses. No little Sebastians? No. There's a literal half of a horse in the middle little of the street. Sebastian. Yeah, little Sebastian. Okay. Little mini horse? Little Sebastian. Um, now. Everyone bow their head for little Sebastian. A nod of silence for <laughs> little Sebastian. <laughs> And uh, now time goes on. She goes to Glendale Junior College, but she leaves before she gets a diploma. And then she instead spends three years at the Chouinard Institute studying Chouinard. drawing and illustration. Chonard. Chonard. It's French. Chonard. And so, you gotta Chonard. Chonard by Dior. And you have to look down your nose at people when you say no, it because it's, it's oh, Chonard. Chonard. There you go. It's Chonard. <laughs> get it more in your nasal cavity. Chonard. I think Fred Allen would have been great at saying Chonard. Chonard. That'll be my next. <laughs> that'll be my our next makeup ad is Chonard by Austin Wells. <laughs> Chonard by Austin Wells is a wonderful institution. Soaking in this glass. Just like Parmesan. 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 Parmesan had nothing on Shonad. Oh I'll tell you God. stories about Shonad that will blow your mind. <laughs> um, Shonard's an LA art We school, can't right? digress into our Orson Welles Parmesan thing again. No, we can't. Uh, but we can't so we, we can continue with Mill Millicent's career. So, we can. Yeah, so she, um, she then begins her career at Walt Disney Studios in the ink and paint department. Yeah. Moved to the special effects department by 1940. And I couldn't confirm this, but there was something milling around. There's a claim the states. Something's just, milling around for Millicent? Is it, <laughs> it's something called Maleficent. I'll put it in Sleeping Beauty. <laughs> Walt Disney. i put it in Sleeping Beauty. Beauty. Now we're going back to Big Fish. <laughs> Down by the river. What do you want me to be? The Chernabog designed by Millis and Patrick Edward? Oh Who do you want so me to funny. be, Billiam? Uh, no, yes. Yeah, so there is a claim that she actually was one of the key design factors behind the Chernabog devil in Night of Bald Mountain, that big old mountain that yeah. that uh, we that Tyler maybe still can't see the bottom half of and is very furious about it. Um, <laughs> and Dumbo. Did you say Dumbo? No, not Dumbo. 1941. 1941. Sorry. Dumbo, 1941. Yeah. Sorry. So, so she, Fantasia and Dumbo. So she uses her illustration designs to some of our childhood classics. Have it, you seen her you illustrations? You mean trauma classics? Trauma classics. <laughs> Dumbo is fucking sad. Pinocchio is terrifying. Dude, they just dropped a live action Pinocchio oh, the movie. One Tom Hanks is the, Tom fucking, is the fucking Geppetto. He My also little Pinocchio. <laughs> He's like a creepy old man. I heard he looks terrifying as Colonel Tom Parker, too. So... <laughs> I love him. Um, um, but anyway, so she leaves Disney and has a stint modeling career at trade shows. Yeah. You know, so she's just kind of working around. She finally gets an agent, William Hawks, who gets her some small acting parts. When she gets, 
into those acting parts, she meets Bud Westmore at Universal. She shows him her sketches, and Bud goes, I like you. Let's bring you into the special effects, the makeup department. Have you seen her sketches? Not all of them. I've seen They're the creature designs. They're fucking phenomenal. Ooh. Elaborate, They're, elaborate. They're so gorgeous. There's such movement in there. Like, the style of... So, like, I can I draw to an extent, but the style of character drawing and the drawing that they're doing and creatures and creating things like that, it's all pencil, like, different pencil renderings and hand sketching. Mm-hmm. And then a lot of them get inked in or watercolored, but they're just, like, gorgeous. You can definitely see inspiration, and you can see it almost go from exactly that to the physical prop or, you know, physical, like, makeup even though that doesn't often happen. I mean, it's not always like those things on the internet, you know, where it's like, this is what I got on Wish, and this is what, or this is what I thought it was ordering, and yeah. this is what I actually got. Yeah. There's like, very you, few points where the, like, the conceptual drawing actually makes it into, yeah. into the realm. And she used to do portraits, too. There's portraits out there of, like, Kirk Douglas as a cowboy that she did, because she would do them on set. Ooh. Oh, that's cool. So she yeah. was. She, she would kind of just like hang out with the stars. Then at that point, she was she known for doing portraiture a lot of the times as well. Laurence Olivier, yeah, Laurence Olivier. Well, and I, I wish I knew more about her growing up because Bud Westmore saw to it that I didn't know anything about her up until a certain point, because uh, Bud Westmore, the problem with Bud Westmore's reign at Universal in the makeup department is that he was supervising an overall team. And I can't say that Jack Pierce didn't do this. But if you're the head of the makeup department, you're the only one getting credit. And there were other people involved in it, like Jack Keevan and Chris Muller. So those guys were responsible for helping apply the actual costume, the actual costume onto people and helping design stuff full body molds of the actors to build the flexible exterior shells and such. Mm -hmm. Those guys are essential key figures in the actual assembly of it. Millicent's design is adhered to point for point. Bud Westmore is like the supervisor that your job that gets the credit for what you did. And it's, it's uh, it's, it's a little fucking unreasonable. (laughs) Also, she created the creature. Yeah. She designed it. Yeah. She designed where it would come apart. She designed a creature that makes millions of dollars still to this day in merchandising. It's just so beautiful still. I was just marvel. Last night, I told you, I watched it like three times because I was like, damn, this movie is still very beautiful. If there's an, if there's a Millicent Patrick exhibit, we're going. Oh damn! We yeah, are going. I could like yeah. she. I want you guys to see her other artworks, and just what she did. But she was. I think it was after she got into Universal's makeup department. She was their first, like female. Yes. She was special, fir- woman she, in special. Their first female woman in special effects. Yeah, like, ever. She did. She did makeup work on Jack Palance in his earlier career, which nice. I, I I admire her courage. And <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, God bless, Millicent. Come on over here and uh, you're my number one gal. (laughs) Make a gal that is. I just laughed. But yeah, we're not in a relationship. I literally just watched both the Batman the other night. I had to. I was watching all these Tim Burton movies. I was like, the first two Batmans are still amazing classics. Jack Balance is in a key part of that whole mythos. He really is. Um, So now, um, but Millicent Patrick 
at this point, before Bud Westmore completely squashes her her contribution, uh, she is designing the creature. As I said before, Jack Keevan and Chris Muller are uh, making a lot of the appliances. Now comes the part of how do we fucking film underwater? And where are we going to film this shit? Where are we going to film a creature in a black lagoon? Our water tank's not going to look realistic. What about a creature in a dark room? <laughs> creature in the it sounds dark. similar to Black Lagoon, right? It sounds similar, and then you just use projectors to get the little waves in, in the background. So it's just all directed by Hitchcock in those process shots that he loves so yes, much. Yes, exactly. All right, you're swimming, you're swimming. That's good. That's good. Shot, cut. <laughs> you're shocked. You're scared. Okay. <laughs> oh God, you're drowning. Oh no. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, Now, uh, but now we have to figure out how we're going to film this underwater. Well, uh, luckily, you know, Universal City may not be the best place to film an Amazonian river, but Wakula Springs, Florida. I was there recently. It is not a great place to shoot any sort of Amazon anything. And yet... You haven't <laughs> been inside of it. We drove around it. Bitch, the river runs through it. <laughs> Just like Brad Pitt. Uh- <laughs> I was also going to make a Brad Pitt joke. Oh, yeah. Did. Oh, yeah. Um, no, yeah, because there's the big water, but it definitely doesn't look tropical. They might be able to add stuff, but there's like a thing where like jaws comes out and you're like going over a river and shit and it's does it still look as about as protected as it looks in this film oh i don't think they did it there or did they no no they no, did in, do well, it there. in, in wakula springs they did it um i was asking since you've been down there before like just recently did it look like the environment was still intact we were. Oh, no, we didn't go inside. We dro- that's why I said oh. we didn't go inside. I was no, just we teasing drove around. Oh, we drove around. That's what I just said. Oh, we drove gotcha. around. Oh, gotcha. That's okay. why I said the river runs through it. Like oh, you have to go gotcha. into yeah. the park. Gotcha. Okay. No, yeah. Okay. We drove gotcha. Around okay. It. Gotcha. But well, you can't get into it very easy if that's what you're asking. Well, no. especially not at midnight when no one's there. <laughs> that's where we were. We snuck into the fucking. Well, we didn't. I guess it wasn't sneaking, but we went into the tar pits after it closed. Oh, no. yeah. It was open. There was another open. spooky-ass dude that was there talking about eclipses. <laughs> he literally appeared, again, like a vampire. We Yeah, we did. We were just haunting around the streets of L.A. and shit in the middle of the night. Jesus. <laughs> well, so, My favorite. But Wakula, <laughs> so look, Wakula Springs, Florida is where they settle upon to film. That's and more appropriate. The, the Springs area is virtually like protected under conservation by the person who owns it, Ed Wall. And a young Rico Browning is a swimmer and a student in Florida when Universal begins location scouting. And as they toured Wakula Springs, they had him swim in the water doing camera tests and then hired him on, uh, on that auspice to be the underwater creature. Neat. Did he get a bunch of skin bacteria? <laughs> I mean, if you're living in Florida all your life, maybe you're used you're, to it you're by used now. You're used to you built up an immunity over time and generations. That yeah, that, God, that applies. That, that applies to bacteria <laughs> in the water. Just as scary and, as the fucking monster. Yeah, I don't get no grain grain no more, but I also can't get top of my. <laughs> <laughs> you can't. You you build up an immunity to gangrene and reason. That's what happens when you get built live in Florida all your life. Um, now. They, who do they get to play the one above land? Ben Chapman, the universal contract player. He is about to join the ranks of Glenn Strange, 
Boris Karloff. Boris Karloff. <laughs> Boris Karloff. <laughs> and Claude Rains. Um, Bella Lugosi wasn't was really like, under makeup. Oh, well, Bella, no, because no, Igor. Was, yeah. yeah, he was in there somewhere. Yeah, but yeah, no. <laughs> but Boris Karloff is our prevalent. And Lon Chaney. Lon Chaney. Makes it yes. sound like mental makeup. He was in there somewhere, even if he wasn't. Yeah, he was always. He, Boris is always there if you know where to look for him. He's <laughs> a gentle giant. Um, but no, um, so Ben Chapman's about to join this 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 prestigious line of monsters. But Glenn Strange, who played Frankenstein in latter-day films, the Frankenstein monster, was offered the role but turned it down because he didn't think he was a good enough swimmer. So he turned down the chance to be a monster that could be his own in favor of like, nah, bro, I want to stay dry. And He didn't want to be Aquaman. <laughs> Uh, I do remember Glenn Strange saying in an interview one time, yeah, and my man. So um, for anybody who remembers that cut of Justice League. <laughs> um, so uh, anyway, uh, Julie Adams is our other key factor in this because she is the, the heroine, uh, as it were. She initially didn't want to be a part of this because she there was the stigma against acting in a horror film at that time. But when she starts getting into the filming of it, she's totally fine. However, though, uh, the Guildman costume made it very difficult for Ben Chapman to see. And at one point, Julie Adams, the trooper that she is, had her head scraped across a rock during filming when, oh. they, when she was being carried by Ben Chapman. And that I did notice sucks. when they were like swimming together, like, well, at least she was underwater. <laughs> well, yeah, she looked like she was helping guide him in that suit she looked like she was swimming more actively than he was in a couple of those shots yeah now let's talk about the whole makeup design as it stands so it's a leotard and then the different parts are attached from body to leg mm -hmm. that's a very staged thing to do yeah it's so seamed together well though when standing or swimming uh, Rico Browning um, actually talked about like how to best do uh, the, the how to be able to see with goggles and whatnot. Um, and then uh, there was it was suggested that you would have goggles underneath, but if water gets in, they get stuck in there, and it's he's already in the suit. Um, so they suggested with bare eyes, and that ended up working. Additionally. <laughs> I didn't realize that he did this, but I saw a little quip that he did in 2013. He said, uh, in regards to doing four minute intervals of filming underwater in that suit, if you're not doing anything at all, four minutes is possible. But if you're moving in the water, if you're swimming fast or fighting, you can use up a lot of oxygen and it cuts down to at most two minutes. So he's enduring oh a shit ton underneath the water just to get achieve this stuff, probably having to go back up a lot. My girlfriend. Now and I want to rewatch it just again, just to like look for that. You know what I mean? See if you can find the moments where he's like. <laughs> well, there was another indicator of wondering what the setup times were for these underwater shots, because my girlfriend saw this with me and this was her first time watching it. And her question was like the most absolute, like I never thought to think about this before. When the sand kicks up on like the, the, the bottom of the, of, of the reef and like sand is kicking up from the bottom of the river. Yeah. 
what do you do? Do you reset? Like, do you wait for it to settle each time? What do you do? I'd have to imagine that the amount I of time. Didn't fucking think about that. It's, it's, Dude, you'd have to have like a like kind of like how we have buckets of ice and shit. You'd have to have like buckets of sand maybe to like refill. It's either that or you're just wait. You're but you're literally waiting for the water for it to for settle it to back settle. down to the bottom, so, so you like, can get a clean shot. Yeah. yeah. So then th- that brings up the question of like how long are these guys filming these underwater sequences, which roughly take up about half the movie. My guess, and I don't have access Jesus. to, pro- I don't have redu- access to production reports day by day by day, but it sounds like to me that it's about equal filming time. It has to be in order to achieve everything you're achieving. Additionally, you're building a whole new rig. Um, uh, the uh the big thing that i thought was it's interesting that we're not only going to make an underwater film but we're going to do it in 3d and the the underwater rig was especially designed for this film and that's a tall order for not just a monster movie but a movie period at this point the 3d craze is saying is telling us yes we're going to film these things uh, but we're gonna we're gonna take on the additional production time and energy, but to do it underwater. And I'm assuming we've all only seen this in 2D. None of us has seen this in 3D. Oh yeah, I've never seen this. Yeah, in 3D. That's funny because they're actually showing it at the Alamo Draft House this month in 3D. Yep, on a Saturday, I believe, in the afternoon. Not so this cool. Saturday. No, I don't think so. I think it's next Saturday or the Saturday after. Excuse me. I know you've got to go, don't you? You've got to go find. I'm I'm here. I'm not leaving. I'm not going. <laughs> I just I might just be looking to... up when I'm going to go see this movie in 3D in the I, next couple weeks. What do you weeks. mean, you? We now Scotty Wellburn designed this rig, and this rig uh, has a lot of efficiency. And I am astounded at the clarity of this footage to this day. That's what Aaron was mentioning. It's, it's, yeah, that's, I just was blown away about how clear it is. It looks like HD quality. It is fucking stunning. And then then you can really appreciate the makeup even more. It's so crystal clear. You can see his glistening gills and you can really see the details and things. And you, and my girlfriend was just like, you know, I liked the movie, but I think my favorite part of it was everything underwater. And I'm like, that's an absolutely appropriate answer. It's remarkable. That's good because they worked really fucking hard on it. (laughs) Damn right. They did. Um, Now. So they film uh, two units. Uh, The first unit, um, uh, was on the back lot, and then there was the underwater unit in Wakula Springs. Mm-hmm. So they filmed simultaneously. Now, I think at this point, we jump into this film, this plot. And um, it's a tight 80, 79, 80 minutes. Yeah, it went uh, real fast. Uh, I was like, bam, but done. It, but it, it wants to open up on the grandest... Uh, on the grandest scale possible and we go like in the beginning god created the man and the earth and it's like what are we in for <laughs> it is pretty yeah is this a is this a major like it actually ties into jack arnold tackling heavier subjects later with the heavy the incredible shrinking man um and uh then we get this- that sounds like a cautionary tale <laughs> <Of> what? <laughs> <laughs> the, in- the incredibly 
shrinking manhood. Manhood. Uh, yeah, no, the incredible shrinking man, a.k.a. not a commentary on Donald Trump's penis intentionally. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, we get we get them. Uh, we get we get shots of the creature emerging from the water. Uh, and we uh, we are then kind of thrust into an archaeological dig, dig with Dr. By uh, Dr. Maia and. This expedition by Maya is 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 a I love the 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 excitement around this scene of finding a claw sticking out of the side of a hill. Yeah. Like it's it's there's energy. Like right away we are just thrust into this. There's no there's no settling down past that one prologue moment with the creature. Okay. And I this have to ask you a question. Yeah. Have you seen Reptilicus? Yes, because I saw the new MST3K like a good human being. Okay, well, I <laughs> saw it way before MST3K, but I was very appreciative that they watched it. This movie, I it's been a while since I've seen it, and I just feel like Reptilicus took a lot from this movie. There are scenes that look pretty shot for shot when they're like finding stuff. It doesn't surprise me because when you talk to any fan of this film they're talking about one of the most influential films of all time they're not talking about like yeah the frankenstein monster is pretty amazing and expired other monster films as well and creature from the black lagoon there's a whole documentary about like 60 uh, 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 60 years with the creature produced by keith david and narrated by keith david and they talk about like they show like all the different countries and all of the different uh films that have done that either involve a creature from the black lagoon or a sea creature in that vein there's even ones with Sonny Chiba fighting a bunch yeah. of them that are made in an army. Well, in Asian cultures, there's a lot of sea monsters because right, but a lot of them, the a lot of them are island countries. But these ones were specifically designed in the vein of like ripping off the for creature sure, for look sure. Especially. But it's just the it doesn't surprise me that they were popular in those countries because they have a lot of fishy lure. Yeah. It makes more sense there. They're like, fuck, I get the reality of that shit. That's scary. They have stories about man-eating catfish and stuff. (laughs) That's not a joke. There's man-eating catfish in Missouri. Are they, are are they nine feet long and killers? Like Lucas says later on that boat. Cause okay. I'm just checking to make sure that we get some, proportionally sized animals that yeah. came from prehistoric times here. Um, so <laughs> Dr. Maia sees the claw and he tells his assistants, hold the camp. I'm going to the Institute to show them this. And as he's heading off to go show this creature claw, a real creature claw mo- moves up and we get our first horn blare, the first of many. And he kind of just like claws at the ground a little bit and then goes away. I actually love how Jack Arnold restrains from showing that monster until about halfway through the film. It would be very, very fucking easy to show that thing right away. It's creepier when you can't see it. I agree. When you only see parts of it. Now, there's like Cloverfield and stuff like mm-hmm. inspiring new movies. There are a lot of like, that's such a suspenseful tactic. We're going to talk about this thing for 25 minutes. You've got to wait 25 minutes before you get to see it. Yes. And then you only get to see a couple fingers. Well, <laughs> you know what we can talk about in the meantime? This music is all over the place for it's, kind of a reason. It's amazing. <laughs> yes. It's chaos. Yes. It's so great. There are three different composers 
on this piece in addition to just library music being used by Universal. This kind of comes in tandem with the Black Cat discussion we had back in episode one. Sometimes they're just, they're not creating a score. Sometimes they're just using catalog music, but- It's cheaper that way. They had Herman Stein doing the main titles, the end titles, and the silent scenes and the swimming scenes. It sounds like the whole movie. <laughs> <laughs> the featurette that I've watched since 1998 lied to me. <laughs> There's three people that participated, but one dude really did all it's of it. Like all His that name was work. John Carpenter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We, it's the group mentality in high school where there's always that one kid that does all the work, but everybody yeah. else takes credit. Yeah. yeah. You remember when you'd get those like like little uh, group evaluations? I always ratted out the people who didn't do any work. Yeah. I did not appreciate so, doing so, work. So sad in the back on his whatever. So, so yeah. should we owe John Carpenter like five million apologies at this point for always. all the work? Okay. Always. Gotcha. Always. Fair I feel enough. like Hollywood has never given John Carpenter enough fucking apologies. Just send me a couple more <laughs> PS5s and a bag of weed and i'll be fine he's still doing great things i'm gonna hang out with my with my son and his friend and make music together i know they're so cute yeah, it's adorable they're so cute video games man it's the way of the go future to, i'm gonna go to a fuck michael myers it's I'm video gonna, games <laughs> i'm gonna go to a convention this weekend sign a bunch of 30 year old pictures of myself <laughs> that's that's a trip dude well that's, when we like really i'm set, so excited for that life i hope i get to live that life uh, bring it to sign 30 year old pictures of myself and just sit around all day yeah and then, my name. we talked about that because we have to look back and find photos when we release when the episodes are released and i remember sometimes aaron will text me she's like dude those photos of john carpenter back in the day I've Dang. always had a crush on 70s John Carpenter. Are you kidding me? That stash was epic. Yeah. Well, it was that, and you were like, where'd you find all those sexy photos of Francis Ford Coppola? Oh, yeah. She found some good ones of Francis Ford Coppola. I was like, what? Woo. What, in a thong? Or? No. He just, it was like pre-wine bloat and like pasta. <laughs> like, you know, after 30 when the pasta really just hangs around. Bloated yeah. Italian man who's got like wine stains on his fucking shirt and pasta noodles <laughs> randomly strewn. Sloppy Tony Soprano. <laughs> no. Um, yeah. Um, he just looked real fucking svelte. It was nice. very intense. I had never seen a young... Honestly, I don't know if I've seen a young picture of Francis Ford Coppola. I've just seen like old, old one. He's yeah. been old forever. He he's, just looks like he's always he, had the beard forever. Yeah. 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 Like he's always been there. He came with the he came with the building. Yeah. It's kind of like George Lucas. I can't picture him without a wave in his hair or something right. like that. Right. Like there that. was actually one of the photos I came across. It was a picture of Francis Ford Coppola with George Lucas and R2D2. That's cool. It wouldn't fit in the framing, but anyway. Did the did the caption say one's gonna make wine and the other's gonna destroy pop culture as we know it? <laughs> oh my god! I can post something like that. Yeah, oh god! <laughs> D- decide which one did it. Um, now uh, who done it? No, the second composer was uh, Hans J. Salter. Now he did the horror sequences and the climax of the film, so he's responsible for the dun, 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 dun moments. Yeah. But then we get. Henry Mancini. Fuck what, really? Scoring the lighter moments of this film. The ones where they're drifting along the river and all this peaceful. Yeah. So this music that we have is kicking us all into uh, this perfectly balanced film in terms of its tones. Nothing ever feels a little too overdramatic. Everything feels even 
even keel where it's supposed to be. There's not a misplaced moment in this film except for one, in my opinion. And it's not a music moment or an action moment. It's a moment of character that the creature thankfully breaks up. <laughs> um, but if we move along to the Institute, we meet... Are uh, we meet Dr. David Reed and Kay Lawrence, um, and they are given the the claw by Dr. Maya, and we suddenly get the introduction of all of our other docs, which include Dr. Thompson and uh, Senor Butch himself, the one and only Mr. Williams, Mark Williams. This character, <laughs> there's some head nodding or shaking going on. Testosterone. It's yeah. just really gross. It's so weird. Like he's like he's he's a poster child for toxic masculinity. His de- <laughs> his his design as a character is just like yeah, I'm a toxic piece of shit, but I also give a shit about science, and I'm like, <laughs> and at times. <laughs> And I it, mean, that's, yeah, that's pretty it's kind of it's, <laughs> yeah. it's kind of like Elon Musk, you know, like he just, he's just kind of like floating around that range. Except if you gave Elon Musk a fucking harpoon gun, which yeah, I'm not, he I'm probably not, owns he's, one, dude. The I'm, harpoon I'm not, gun is his penis and he's entering it into a bunch of different women. Someone so that needs he can to give that man it. a vasectomy. I agree. Now, so we get Mr. Mark Williams is their financier, and he's just like, and my my is just like, well, once I get enough money to do a, a further excavation, I can dig up more of this, hopefully. And Williams just goes like, well, I've got money. Why don't we all just go out there right now? <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, no danger whatsoever. And uh, and then that's when they go into this spiel. They give this science, this wonderful science exposition of just like we've only begun to discover. The, the 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 evolutionary connection between the water and us as human beings and we've only just begun. begun. Yeah, that's when David Reed started singing. Don't you remember? To discover. That's when this did turn into a musical. That's right. White coats and promises. <laughs> Julie Adams just twirls, and then the claw, the fossilized claw, claw get ups and starts tap dancing with its fingers. A claw for luck, and you're on your way. <laughs> <laughs> So they charter a boat, the Rita, and they go floating Chef down the river. Margarita. <laughs> yeah. That fucking boat driver. Yeah, Lu- Lucas probably wasting away again in Margarita. Bill. Yeah, for sure. Oh, uh, well, they're, yeah, dude, they're get in on, Florida. Get on, ma- get on the boat. Get on the boat. We're going to go to the lagoon. I've got to go search for my lost shaker of salt. He's like. The Black a, Lagoon is Margarita He Bell. is definitely a precursor to Captain Ron. <laughs> Like <laughs> Captain Ron looked at this dude and was like, "He's onto something." <laughs> Kurt, Ru- Kurt Russell's just like my inspirations for Captain Ron were my loose behavior and Lucas from Creature right. from the Black Lagoon. Also, the claw is obviously a precursor to Liar Liar, where he's using that. Yeah, the <laughs> it's a mechanism to bring back his family. To- that's, yep. that's what happened. <laughs> that fucking stupid. And, I loved it though. Uh, oh yeah. So they go down the river and we get this these shots of Wakula Springs intercut with stuff on the back lot. Mm. It's beautiful. It's so pretty. But it is kind of a leisurely boat cruise for the first part of it. It have does you been feel on like any, a paid vacation. Have you like, been on any Disneyland ride? Oh, uh, yeah. I've been on a Jungle Cruise it's before. It's like the Jungle Cruise. It's like 
what is it? Uh, it's a small world after all. It's I've a, never it's been a, on. Oh, it's I, a cru- I, I, those are cruising rides. Okay. Oh, that would have been great if down the down the Amazon River you started hearing alligators going, it's a world of laughter, a world of tears. I'm going to eat your butt because I'm hungry. We're so fast. Don't you know crocs and alligators? <laughs> no, they're really fast, dude. They can pick up speed real quickly and fucking murder your ass. Yeah. Speaking of murder, though. You know what it is? is I've been seeing way too many of those fucking Weird Al trailer commercials this week. Oh, my God. I'm really excited for that. And I think it's seeping into my brain. <laughs> um, now, here's what... Speaking of, though, like, as they're cruising along the river, they're, they're, they're getting ready to go on this excavation. Meanwhile, though, back at the encampment, Louise and, uh, Louise and his guy are still in their camp and the creature emerges, but we don't see him. It's all from first-person perspective, mm-hmm. first-person singular. And um, it's actually kind of like it's. It reminds me of Michael Myers going up to the house in the first Halloween movie. Where I was it's like, just, it's a lot of precursors to what would become the point of view the perspective. Yeah, yeah the, the, the killer, the, the peeping Tom. Yeah, look. exactly. Yeah. But this peeping Tom has gills and claws and not just a regular knife. And he's just lonely, man. He's just lonely. Lonely. Speaking of lonely, Lonely Island came up with what that that term, right? The creep. That's what it is. Yeah. John Waters doesn't introduce it. <laughs> and so they they have this shot pushing in through the tent. And Pretty, we really we see we see the two crew members of the excavation get fucking smashed and brutalized. And my first thought was anytime Jason enters a tent in a Friday the 13th movie, they will cut to that shot outside. Oh, yeah. Of the uh, encampment. And they will just hear, we will hear the sound effects of what's going on. And it was just like this, it, it, immediately this film starts connecting tons of dots. Um, but it oh, is. slashers are definitely homages to the original, like, Absolutely. Universal movies. But I also, There's elements in all those. But I also realized, too, like, from a Universal standpoint, Universal monster movies have death in them. There's plenty of death in them. Invisible Man kills a whole fucking train full of people. What do you mean? Really- <laughs> <Just kidding. laughs> I thought they were about cuddly monsters. I thought they were just sleeping. <laughs> Frankenstein's just sleeping in a cage at the zoo. <laughs> what was that bit from Dumb and Dumber? I just thought he was really quiet. <laughs> Dragula's hands duct taped him. And but like the thing that I thought about was this film, unlike other Universal Monster movies from before, the kill count is not higher, but it feels more intense. And I don't know how to explain it. It just seems like it's more frequent. Like the creature is a little bit more willing to defend its territory. Frankenstein's monster, he May- kills, but he he's apprehensive at points. Maybe because Frankenstein's is, monster was literally brought from the dead yeah. and got a dodo brain. Well, maybe this is because it's a real animal. This is a real creature. This is a re- this is animalistic instinct. Um, to the point, I guess the Wolfman is also kind of animalistic. But this is I don't know. This I was think a I see your point. It yeah, yeah a little there, there's a little more urgent. There's yeah. more, yes, that's the word I'm looking for. There's more urgency. In his mission, because it's basically get out my swamp, get out my swamp to quote Shrek. Yeah, um, this is what they should have shown for all of the like environmental protection, like 
everything. Like, this is what's oh, going to happen. The fish yeah. are going to come eat you. Right? They're going to fucking Save defend the rainforest. You keep fucking with them. They're going to defend their territory and they're going to fuck you up. It's man, bear, pig, gill man. I'm super cereal. Oh, my um, God. Now, the, uh, but that, so they get slaughtered, but they, they continue their boat ride. They get back to the encampment. Uh, with the whole expedition team and find them dead. And Maya is very upset about this. <laughs> but rather than have a funeral for them at all, they just start digging immediately for this for the rest of this claw. And nothing is found. And then it's determined by Reed, well, call me crazy, but I think that if uh, hundreds of thousands of years of this stuff washing up on the shore and hitting the side of a reef, it's got to end down somewhere where this river ends. Logic? No yeah, way. logic. Yeah, no, I know. And that's science. <laughs> Maya goes though, but like, there's no chance possibly that we'll find anything. Like, there's like, it's a, it's a small, there's a small opportunity that we'll find something. Yeah, and more we bodies. And we don't know what's there. And that's when Lucas comes out, kind of like crazy Ralph, but a little bit more slick, and just goes like, "Well, the the locals here call it the Black Lagoon. You see, uh, they say it's a paradise." <laughs> But nobody's ever come back alive to talk about it. I know. There's so much like nod, nod, wink, wink going on. Shut up. I love the I love the, che- I love the cheekiness. This is something out of the 50s, I feel, where we're trying to be a little smarmy, but we're also sticking to some traditionalist values. It's That guy's also seen some dark shit. He's got to find a way to laugh about it somehow. Well, they say that the creature from the Black Lagoon is a peaceful creature, but uh, you haven't seen him gut 500 sheep mercilessly on your farm <laughs> now have you you just don't piss him off <laughs> anyway back sweet. on the boat <laughs> just right. give him your daughter come oh my on God. that's all come he wants isn't that why you had her anyway some to pe- eventually sacrifice her to the black lagoon creature? some people say the creature from the black lagoon is a misunderstood creature but i don't misunderstand the message he sends when he burns down my whole house <laughs> do you think he's got a type do you think he's got a type like the like gilman do you think he has a type like, do you think they, if somebody were to sacrifice their Are daughter, you telling me and he didn't like redheads or something? Yeah, like sacrifice. you just see some bitch big thrown bitch out of the water. <laughs> Give me a better one. Yeah, like just thrown out of the swamp. Well, give I, it back. Well, I don't know. He swims in pretty deep waters. He doesn't seem very shallow. But but you know what? He's looking for stability. Maybe he just needs to be on shallow ground. Boom! Cancel! You're canceling your co hosts. Yes. <laughs> but I like puns. <laughs> Are we oh both canceled God. for the puns? Yes. Damn it. All right. Oh welcome back to Required Ballyhoo with Chloe and Zach. <laughs> <laughs> Coming to you straight out of Own and Network. <laughs> Required buffoonery. Oh my god! Did you just put us on own network? <laughs> we had nowhere else to go. You're nowhere. <laughs> we were taken out of everything. I'm sorry. I can only imagine if Oprah was interviewing me on Universal Monsters. Oh my god! I don't. Know I want her to interview the Gill Man. <laughs> You get a mask, and you get a Gill Man mask, and you get a Gill Man mask. And you, you get a Dracula mask. You, you suck. <laughs> but you get You're a Frankenstein mask. Monster mask. Yay! <laughs> and a, and a monster car. How about a monster truck? I'd rather have a monster mash. Well, she she can't always provide a graveyard smash. Are you kidding me? She's fucking Oprah. She, she flies. <laughs> she flies in fried chicken. Can, 
She flies in a specific type. What kind? It's it's fucking. There's one from Seattle. Ezekiel Ezels. I think it's Ezels. Fucking delicious. We'll go there. Fried chicken. She flies that shit from there to her wherever she may be. That's where donkey. That's a waste of gas. Fried chicken delivery plane. She needs to just open up a restaurant near her. Create jobs. Create industry. Give back to the economy. I guess she's creating a job for that pilot that's flying her plane. <laughs> but she's also killing the environment with all the yeah. fossil fuel she's burning in that plane. Agreed. Maybe the plane runs on the same grease that the chicken is fried in. We're just trying to give Oprah some advice, girl. You could do a little better. <laughs> <laughs> but she's too busy giving computers to little girls in Africa and teaching them how to read. There you go. Anyway, though, sorry, we digress. No, it's all good. <laughs> anyway, though, um, now they're gonna go further along down the river. Now, keep in mind, that seems th- like a bad idea. <laughs> that was the, yeah, no yeah. one at any point is like, should we turn back? No, if well, we we'll see back, if there was black it, people up in here, they'd be like, no, we're not going further down the river. <laughs> uh, I know it's the Black Lagoon, but fuck that. Oh my God, Jordan Peele making Creature from the Black Lagoon Dude. is what I want now out of that. Yeah, but please. anyway, they're going, but they're going to go down regardless, Chloe. They're going to go down this river regardless. It I doesn't, know. it doesn't matter if it's they should. It's a human condition. Should. Yeah, I know. They're just going to do it. And uh, keep in mind, this is a place that uh, once, as Reed once proclaimed, had anteaters that had the uh, that were giant and had the strength of a bear. Centipedes would grow a foot long. Amazonian rats as big as a sheep. And I'm just thinking these are all potential monsters we could have gotten in the 50s that we never got. Like I would have. Right. They were listing them out like that. that, It's William Allen just going like, look, I got some more titles for you here. Amazonian rat terror and uh, (laughs) the the long centipede and uh, the giant anteater and uh, versus the bear dawn of justice. Something like that, fellas. Make it work. Um, So now they come to the uh, but they get they finally get to the very lagoon itself and. uh, it seems like they're going to be they're they're going to be starting to look around for what's where the remains will be and they start kind of excavating the area they go down diving a bunch and the terror doesn't really start until after Julie Adams disrobes Reveals her then scandalous bathing suit because it's it like went a high waisted. Yeah, it went up thigh high. I bikini. think it was what she it said. It was perfectly acceptable. Yeah, but at the time it, it was, was way scandal. more clothing that but girls wear. No now. one was shaming them like in Forbidden Planet, where he was like, "You shouldn't be wearing those things. You're attracting all kinds of stuff from the universe." No, I think Doctor tra- the the real attracting tra- a fish man. Yeah, she's just attracting a fish man. Doctor Williams is courting is attracting she's danger just- with his fucking heart. Poon gun. Okay, hold on. She's just attracting a fish man. <laughs> That's not a normal. Sentence. Oh, I'm sorry. She's attracting the fish man. <laughs> I mean, and Doctor Reed. He's pretty built. I'm just like yeah, he's swimming around all day, fucking punching people. Yeah. Midair and all that good shit. He's strong. Swim punch. <laughs> that's that's a creature from the black. Lagoon it keeps you lean. Got. He's probably eating real healthy. Yeah. Yeah, got probably a lot of algae down there and salad stuff. Dude, and yeah. he could go- Very vegan he, diet. Okay. Yeah. He could like go down on you for hours because he's got gills. Oh my God. <laughs> 
conversations I didn't think I was going to have today. Eating out by the guilt. Well, I mean, Guillermo del Toro already answered your questions to some right? degree or another. Would but- a woman make it with a fish? <laughs> Guillermo del Toro seems to think so. <laughs> Technically, yeah. What makes you think it hasn't happened? Oh, my God. You know what it was? He watched the creature from the Black Lagoon. Yeah. And he was like, but what if... They fucked. I made, right? He's like, but what if, like... Well, I think it stems from this sequence because this sequence is a water ballet, essentially, of desire, passion, sexy shit. And the it, it's beautifully shot. All of the stuff that we start seeing underwater, because uh, Williams and Reed go down there, too, and they start excavating and collecting samples. Sorry, a lot of butt back, shots. I'm still back on the thing that I said, and then that's your saying they're going down there and collecting samples, and it's their time to go down there. <laughs> <laughs> We've lost Chloe. They go. I'm gone, guys. I'm sorry. They <laughs> collect the. They're collecting samples, but she just goes for a swim. But we 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 get this underwater ballet of passion. Like the the monster is intrigued. He's curious. He's lustful, uh, and it uh, it plays out in a way that I think that the Universal Monster movies weren't able to be so overt with prior. Like, I feel like the closest you got is Bride of Frankenstein, like what we talked about. This one is very on the surface of just like, no, we're going to intimate that this monster and this woman could potentially be an item. Take my breath away. Oh my God, it's perfect. Yeah, take take my breath away. Yeah, the gills. Right. Uh, gurgle, um, gurgle, gurgle. So we get that scene though, and she actually, he actually gets so close to touching her, and the whole like, I mean, it's That's so hot. It's, Sorry. it's so clear though that Jaws is influenced by this camera, the camera setup here. Yeah, yeah, this is definitely straight out of Jaws, uh, or Jaws is straight out of Creature from the Black Lagoon in that respect. And it, I, I kind of like still watching it to this day and just seeing like how it cuts together and how they're. Because the thing is, is that you have a uh, you have a stunt swimmer for Julie Adams as well in Lakula Springs. So all the stuff underwater is in Lakula Springs, and then above the water in the is in the tank in Universal City. Would you say that the dance is like a metaphor for sex, since they never got to do what Guillermo del Toro wanted them to do? What was that? I said, did you do you ever get the impression that the dance was almost like a like a what do you call it? Um, interpretive dance Hmm. of like an acting out of passions because you couldn't have sex at that time. It seems like the most that could be a logical explanation as to how it was choreographed. Cause I mean, that was a very stony explanation of how that was choreographed. You know, like how do you core? (laughs) I was trying to get the words out. It's a kidney stone explanation of how, (laughs) but no, it's fair because like it is, you are having to interpret no different than silent film. Definitely. So like that could be the that could be the way they get around directing it because I still want to know like how are we choreographing down in the water and how are we accomplishing all of that, but the uh, it won't it will it, the the scene as it stands still represents all of the thematic supposition and sexual nature that has been expounded upon by film theorist after film theorist. It still works. It's still very crystal clear as you watch it. Um, yeah. And to the point That's where, my point. where they get to the touch <laughs> is great because it's a quick edit. Like he, actually, you see the creature do this and then 
back away as if though it's actually terrified. The thing that I think is wonderful about the scene is it actually shows the vulnerability of the monster. It doesn't show menace. Yeah. The way it was probably intended to show. I think it shows menace, but it's side by side with curiosity. And so it's very, it's interpretive based on how you, the viewer, view the monster. If you view the monster as a fucking monster, then this is terrifying. If you sympathize with the monster, then you're going to look at it in a whole different plane. So really, we're the monsters. Oh, yeah. Humanity's always been a monster. Humanity's always. Every one of these movies. Every. Yeah. Especially especially the, the person in this corner right here. White human male. Terrible. Um, Gill creature, pretty okay. Pretty darn cool. Hasn't done anything yet. Certainly doesn't toss cigarette butts into the fucking river Rude. like Julie Adams does in this movie. And I remember I saw that and my girlfriend saw I'm that. I'm calling the Sierra Club. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I remember my girlfriend and I were watching it and she's just like, I don't like any of these people. <laughs> I know. They're That's all, pretty much what everybody very said. They're like, man, they fucking ruined everything. Yeah. What about Dirty Dancing from the Black Lagoon? Oh, I would love to have the time of my right life down in the black. I've room. been waiting for so long. And then they're not quite touching. They do the touch thing. <laughs> and then he gets, and then he backs away. Just been saying. <laughs> Wayne Knight's in the well, background wanna, doing wanna... cheap stand up for this lodge. <laughs> but it's in the black lagoon. <laughs> because think about, I'm sorry, I'm stuck on the dancing thing. Think about all the romantic dances that have been acted out through ballets and through like rhythm, like rhythm and movement, and just Fred and what you Fred, feel. Fred and, pa- Fred and Ginger. Fred yeah. and Ginger. Where yeah. you feel that passion, and they don't need words. Yeah, which is crucial to the fact that, I mean, maybe the maybe Gilman does speak English, but he just doesn't want to. <laughs> he sounds like Doug. He, he sounds like Doug Jones in Hellboy Two: The Golden Army. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's that's what Shout I shout out to Doug Jones. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah, just for I'm not being gonna lie, Doug Jones. That was literally it, that was floating around my head too. Yeah. Doug Jones was. I love yeah. Doug Jones. Now he uh um uh, that but when they uh, you know what's funny though the creature is also capable of menace as we're gonna find out later and I do genuinely believe it stems from not the cigarette butt moment it stems from the fact that earlier when. Williams and Reed are down there collecting samples. Reed grabs like a bunch of weeds or something like that and brings them up to uh, uh, to Kay, Julie Adams, uh, as a gift, like for you. And my first thought is like the creature's looking at that and going like, that's my fucking houseplant, you dillweed, you piece of shit. Stop taking my that's stuff. That's my front yard. That's my front yard. Those Stop. are my oh, seasonal. Oh, oh, I'm gonna Off kill. my lawn, yeah. you stupid kid. Yeah, no, this is a whippersnapper. You know what it is? The claw turns into an arthritic hand. And so he's just doing this now instead <laughs> of the claw. shaking angrily. Thank fish, you. Fish fist shaking. <laughs> <laughs> Killing Eastwood as the creature from the Black Lagoon. Oh my God! Get out my lagoon! It was like it'd get a lot more racist. That would be yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Suddenly, that swimming wouldn't be uh, wouldn't Black Lagoon would be yeah. a lot different of a place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what they call the prison. Yeah. Oh, it's, the, it, instead the, of Oz, it's just or Black the lagoon. plantation. It's a swamptation. Yeah. That I, yeah, Clint Eastwood's just like, yo, I want to remake Cleacher of the Black Lagoon, but I want to take out everything that makes it appealing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't forget. And then I'm going to do it backwards. So basically, I just want to make a movie where I handle a harpoon gun. 
Can and you feet. make that happen? I bet and he feet. also has and one. Feet, yes. Personally, in real life. Oh, for sure. Uh, I'm sure. Oh, I'm definitely. sure. I live in Caramel by the Sea. Of course, I have a harpoon people. gun. Ew, he does. I How? really love that area. I was the mayor. Of I'd have Chloe. to see his weird face. <laughs> what? Was he really? Yeah, he was the mayor of Carmel by the Sea. Yeah. What? Yeah. Yeah. I had no idea. Oh yeah. What kind of? What kind of? What, wow. What is politics like? Um, I don't know. Probably chair based. Did he do them backwards? No. no. <laughs> um. I, but, oh, Clint Eastwood. Uh, I didn't know he was the mayor. Oh yeah. But actually, that makes me want to move to Carmel even more because that means that I will get more sightings of Scott Eastwood. There you go. <laughs> now, um, the underwater <laughs> dance. The underwater dance ends. Um, and, uh, the, the, they get her back in time as the boat is starting to be pulled down by the, the, the anchor and they get the creature in the net, but it gets out of the net. And so they're going like, what the fuck is going on here? You got a shitty net. That's what yeah, they, they, and then, so they want to go down and investigate and, and Kay's just like, whatever the piece is, whatever, whatever the species uh, may be, if you, if you let it alone, it won't bother you. And then Williams is like, the harpoon will correct any mistakes I make. <laughs> or like, no, like any misunderstanding or mistake on that end will be handled by this harpoon gun. Oh, yes, brought on by God. your own fucking hubris, so you piece of shit. Dick Cheney is on that boat is what you're telling me. Yeah, yeah I'm sorry. I thought you were a creature from the Black Lagoon. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> I thought you were a gill man. Now, we have this attempt at this conservationist attitude from Kay, and it's kind of like thrown out the door the minute she just casually tosses a cigarette off the boat because we've been talking about it but yeah like her her stance and her defense of the creature suddenly become null and void to me when she tosses that cigarette off the boat I'm like you don't give a shit like it, I like Kay as a character she's the most sympathetic human character For on sure. that boat yeah she's not as she's She's, none of them are great people. No, none of them are. Like, I mean, she's still shrieking in terror from the creature instead of, you know, like actually embracing. This like, is also to okay. Do you think that this movie inspired the movie Anaconda? I don't think so. No, but but the idea of a creature in the sea lurking around and that you build a movie around that and it's not a reason on a boat looking for Probably, you know whatever always yeah deep blue sea deep blue sea a fucking deep. shark ate me <laughs> and ate me a fucking shark ate me um so now they get the, the they go underwater with the camera with this camera rig which is really cool and the harpoon gun and william fumbles with the harpoon gun as they spark the, spot the creature and he thinks he has him but he doesn't he gets away um, and by the way, you can tell that there's stunt doubles down there because Doc, uh, Mr. Williams is jacked underwater. Oh, but then yeah. when he goes back on the surface, he's kind of. Oh my God. Maybe that's yeah. what happens to Danny Elfman. <laughs> Danny Elfman's just a stunt. He gets walk. on stage, he goes with all of his muscles, and then he goes back to being skinny. Nerdy. <laughs> oingo, boingo, Danny Elfman. It's like a cheap. It's like a cheap superpower. Yeah. <laughs> that Danny Elfman is he the only one who possesses. from Danny Elfman to Danny Jackman. And they go back up to the surface and they start comparing it to the Kamongo fish and there's a fish that breathe there. Uh, they, they go take the, they take the photograph, develop nothing because Dr. Reed's not a good photographer. 
<laughs> um, shitty photographer. Um, that's not that's not science school. Yeah. I know, right? Aren't you, supposed, school. aren't you supposed to be able to document your work or document your findings? Well, they, these guys, I think, were this is literally last minute syndrome. It's just like, all right, guys, we're gonna spend a weekend over in Black Lagoon country, back <laughs> your oh gear, and get ready for a wild weekend. <laughs> these were all the guys that did Don't not forget partic- the right. <laughs> In another world, this movie is a college comedy. Oh my god! National it's Amer- Lampoon's Black Lagoon. <laughs> it's American Pie too, but with a gill monster. <laughs> um, and so at, they're talking about like, well, we just like port like basically they're trying to like, what proof could we have if we never find it again? What proof would we have? And that's when the creature pushes its uh, takes its hand. Uh, and gives a look through the porthole and going like, that, there he is, fucking take your photograph now. He's smiling at you. Uh, and he kills, uh, uh, and he ends up killing uh, one of the crew members. And so the creature is not only a threat under the water now, now he's a threat on the boat itself. Hell so yeah. they, um, they, so they, they, they need to create a plan in order to get it, uh, in order to get it subdued so that they, so they create a cage Actually, that's the first thing they do is they create this bamboo kind of cage. Sorry, I just remember what we were fucking talking about. There's something about Mary. So when, something, when we were talking about there's something about Mary, where he's just like, we put him in a we put him in a cage, right? And she's like, that's not right. And he's like, that's what I said. <laughs> Got this kid Mongo forehead like a drive-in movie theater. <laughs> There's just two things you don't do make a cage for Mongo and something about Mary and the creature from the Black Lagoon. He's got plenty of room back there to dig. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But so they created this, they create this cage um, and um, uh, they're, they're kind of like milling around actually talking about, well, what are they going to like, like, what, what, why do you think he's attacking us? Why? It's the question in every horror film. Why is this creature attacking us? And, um, uh, I well, think it's the time because of the white people. Yeah, and and, <laughs> and they go, no, that's not it. It's got to be something else. Let's spend another forty-five Ju- minutes Ju- trying to figure Ju- out Ju- what it is. Julie Adams uh, suddenly turns and goes, "Are we the baddies?" <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, but actually, she, I think she's the one who asked this question. Do you suppose it remembers Mark's attack and seeks revenge? And Mark goes, "I welcome it." <laughs> like just oh my this, god, this, total bro this, energy. This this just Mark, shut up. Um, so they end up sprinkling the water with Rotanon, um, and th- it's going to conceivably bring the creature up to the surface floating, uh, just enough to them to get it in the cage. Instead, it fucking, it, it, it fucking, uh, paralyzes all the fucking fish. <laughs> um, and they have- What did they think was going to happen? You just yeah. dump all that shit in the river? And- I- I'm like- I'm kind of like shocked that like they had the balls to do this conservationist message in this movie. This and then is- dump a bunch of date rape jugs into the river. <laughs> it's yeah. Cigarette butts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's cigarette Save butts. the rainforest. Blank. Well, that, but that's, but that, but that's, that's how the film ends up creating a conservationist message by showing their terrible behavior. And like, then suddenly the creature is the sympathetic one. Yeah. Even though in the <gasps> maybe think- in the fifties the mentality is like, well, of course they gotta do it. They gotta kill that creature. But nowadays we look at it and go like, you fucking assholes. Stop you it. Didn't he has see, every you didn't right see to the be ex- angry. You didn't yeah. see the extended end of the movie where at the very end the the creature, Gilman, is sitting there and a single tear goes down his face. <laughs> Oh, I thought you were talking about the other. They did another extended cut where the Gill Man oh, no. got on one of those 
uh, one of those um, uh, forklifts and started showing a graph of the devolution of the rainforest. <laughs> <laughs> now that I got your attention, here's Al Gore. <laughs> an, in, an, incon- an inconvenient lagoon. <laughs> I'm Al Gore, and this is my assistant, Gilman. <laughs> That's right, Gil. Do you realize that the rainforest oh is in danger of devastation every day? <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> um, um, so, but um, the creature, um, the, like, they're searching around the boats and whatnot, and like, they're talking about like we believe in known qualities, so nobody's gonna believe what we're bringing to them. Like, what actually, Williams gives off bro energy, but he's actually become kind of like mad with the hunt. So like also, no one's going to believe them because their photos didn't come out. That is true. They Because Reed's is a shitty photographer. He's not Peter Parker. That's for sure. <laughs> um, then the creature climbs onto the boat again, but a lantern frightens him and he goes and swims back into the lagoon. And then he emerges in shallow water. And then that's when the director's like, all right, now shine the Titanic light on him. <laughs> <laughs> it's really and suddenly funny. he's in a spot like, like the opening of the Batman movie from 1966. <laughs> 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 See, but then I just want him to start running like Bo Derek <laughs> with, with like beads in his head. <laughs> One piece suit. <laughs> The creature as Bo Derek and Ten. <laughs> that would have been great. Um, though, but uh, that's when they go and they start actually discovering his the entrance to his little enclave. It's a layer. This enclave or whatever. Yeah, it's a layer. Underwater layer. Meanwhile, at the creature from the Black Lagoon's underground layer. (laughs) A layer. Me, Solomon Grundy, didn't do the laundry this week, Gilman. Sorry. Um, Now, uh, they go to the, the enclave and we get into, I, I wrote this note down, like they plunge deeper into the lagoon and find themselves in this utter water entrance to the enclave where they skulk around following the footprints. And if gothic, if gothic castles are still reigned as the dominant force, then this enclave would be the creature's gothic castle. It's centered in something ancient, historic, and or natural to the environment that has lived through time, just like that castle represents something ancient and stoic for the European monster. So, and this is an American creation we're talking about here. This this film is a purely American creation. So that is its Gothic castle version. Um, and then we get footage of the Gilman breathing. Um, and that's so cool. That was great. accomplished with compressed air being pushed out. Um, and it is marvelous to look it looks so fucking real still to this day i want to make one like i want to make want to make that kind of mask that can breathe and bring it to a halloween party that'd be fucking dope i would love to my dad used to do that shit all that i don't know if he got them to move as much but like that was stuff that he would totally like figure out and i would have but nobody's gonna get a reference to any of the other characters in this movie so just have somebody show up with you as michael shannon with a black fucking finger and whatnot oh my god that's so funny i will find him (laughs) (laughs) um and uh so then uh williams wants to leave after they capture the they do capture the creature they get it into the cage. Wily motherfucker. And well, yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> slippery around. Williams wants to leave because he's like, all right, I got my pri- my hunting prize. Let's go back down to the hunting lodge, a- aka the institute that I fund. Mm-hmm. Um, but Reed's like, we have to stay and collect further data because he's right. Technically, if we're bringing back a live sample, we need to have other samples. Other samples, not just of 
possible other creatures from Black Lagoons, but also what do they eat? Uh, where do they live? Where do they swim? How do they love? You know, like that, those questions that we <laughs> all have to What temperature? Salt water? Like fresh yeah, water? Exactly. Scientific data. Fish and stuff. W- you were talking about one in a fish and those are fish like stuff. all things. There you go. Meanwhile, Williams is just like, look, I believe in science when it means money. And so I'm not going to listen to this. We're going to go. I just go. feel like he yells science like you did all the time. Science! That's, all, that's his response to everything. Now, <laughs> this is this is when we get, I think, the only kind of useless thing because there somehow at certain points this becomes a dilemma of K believing should I should I uh I I first was when I rewatched it uh two a week ago I was like is this supposed to be a love triangle I can't tell I don't think it is I think it's more just the it comes down to like should I follow Mr. Dr. Williams or should I follow Reed and Kay and Dr. Thompson, who has not really been a character up to this point, go through the pros and cons of like, well, should I side with David or should I side with Mark? And and he's giving her the lecture of just like, well, just because your boss gave you an opportunity doesn't mean he fucking owned you. Have you ever heard of liberation? Like, <laughs> it would be great if he just started giving that lecture, but he doesn't. It just kind of did he white mansplain liberation to all these people? Ah, uh, no, he kind of he more mansplains the situation of just like just because he's your boss doesn't mean you owe him anything, et cetera, et cetera. She's meanwhile, like, I don't owe all those blowjobs. Meanwhile, the mean, <laughs> meanwhile the creature. Meanwhile, the creature is just in the cage coming up, like kind of just sitting there still. It's unsettling because that mask has no, uh, the eyes aren't visible. So it's like a hollow, vacant expression. But then it comes up for air and it's just terrifying. (laughs) And then it breaks out of its cage, goes to Kay and Doc Thompson is like, right, this this part of the plot doesn't matter. (laughs) And it just starts slashing at doc thompson nice. um and uh the creature is then set on fire and dives back into the lagoon the doc yeah seems like an easy fix yeah <laughs> the doctor suffers massive facial scarring but he may survive if infection doesn't set in so it's 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 serious um so reed then moves to leave but then Williams is like, no, I need to get my trophy back. <laughs> oh, my God. Leave him be. See, see, the irony is now they each want what the other wanted earlier. Yes, see. And um, so now they're about Again, bu- human condition. But the captain thankfully pulls out a knife and overrules Williams with uh, the gumption of a knife at his throat <laughs> um, and says, well, no, we're, we're going because I want to live. Right. <laughs> and, and then someone's got to put their foot foot down in this situation and or it's their captain knife lucas down. or the, yes or their knife down and the captain was like that's not a knife this, that's a noise yeah your 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 harpoon gun meets jack shit because this thing is right at your throat so they uh they uh start to leave but the boat has been stopped by a blockade of like branches that have been like th- basically the creature has created a blockade i wonder if all the ruckus they created under the river from dousing everything down there maybe caused a roadblock oh if everything's popping up to the top and dying, they're gonna have to like yeah, that's true. wade all, their way through all the garbage. Well, and also the <laughs> boat's been scaring all these animals left and right. Maybe the animals, much in the way of uh, of the nineteen seventies film Frogs, teamed up and created a barrier. So it's like, yes. yeah, let's let yeah. the creature have them. Yes. Um, so they go down to try to remove all the barriers, and the creature gets keeps getting in the way. They try to wench. Uh, they try to use a wench to get it away. Uh, Williams then goes. Uh, wants to go down one more time as David's gonna go down there to tie the securing to the wench further, and they get into a whole man tussle. And 
David yeah, just that is like sh- the most perfect way to describe it is an it's underwater man tussle. Yeah. And Compared to the James Bond film where they have the underwater scuba diving fight well, scene. Well, I'm talking about the one in the boat. The one in the boat where he knocks him out. And then Williams just oh, shows yeah. up okay. down underwater. They they're do have really a, good at tussling. Yeah, they're, they're, yeah. This this it's, this it's episode tussle. will be called Tussle. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the tussle. The tussling. Tussling from the Black Lagoon. The tussling is a great idea for a horror movie. It's it's like Fight Club but with ghosts, and <laughs> that's it. <laughs> I have nothing that's else beyond it. that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Fight Club with ghosts. Like it's like James uh, James Cameron um, or uh, was with Titanic, Romeo and Juliet on a boat. Now give me two hundred million dollars, um, or William Allen with this movie here, King Kong, but with a, a creature from the Black Lagoon. Deal with it, Fishman. Go, no, Fishman. Go, go. <laughs> King Kong meets Fishman. Go. Um, so uh, so Williams does show up with a harpoon gun, does get a shot in, uh, but then the creature. Um, uh, Gets into a tussle with him. That's the underwater tussle of the century, right? Yeah, that, the creature that, and Williams, and he actually is smart enough to be like, "Well, you can't breathe if this tube isn't connected," and just removes Williams's breathing apparatus. See, he's smart. He learned. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They adapt these creatures from black lagoons. They adapt. They evolve. They survive. He was paying attention. You don't think he is smart? He's been He's down a lot longer than those fucking white men have he been alive. He keeps grabbing ladies because there's no ladies from the Black Lagoon. You know what I mean? So he's got to figure out how to. There, like, that's a funny, funny, lonely. funny thing you say there because there was an early mask design for this creature uh, that was a little bit more studio mandated, a lot smoother mm-hmm. and a little bit more like blandish. But it was apparently kept around because there was a thought of like, well. If we want to make a lady creature from the Black Lagoon, you never know. So the smoother one. <laughs> yes, will be... exactly. And then, okay. and, and of course, you'll know she's a girl because later they'll put a bow in her hair. Okay, so, Jordan you know. Peele, <laughs> lady creature from the Black Lagoon. Ooh, it'll be like the Bride of Frankenstein, but for creatures. That's Creatress. when Guillermo del Toro just and goes, Jordan, don't. Gilman. We're the Gilmans. <laughs> we're the Gilmans. <laughs> <laughs> That's the name of it. We're yeah, the we're the Gilmans. We're the Gilmans. <laughs> uh, so Williams is out for the count now. He floats up. Kay thinks at first, oh, no, Dr. Reed. Or she just thinks, oh, no, in general, another death. Um, and so they're left with virtually no options, except what if we turn uh, the Rotanon into a mosquito-esque spray uh, and we get it enough close range to knock it out so that they can just get away. What's up with all the aerosols and the dumping in the river and like- Industry, the 50s. Drugs are our solution. (laughs) Did you ever hear about the House of Plastic? No. Monsanto. Oh, Monsanto, yeah. Yeah, I had a thing at Disneyland called them. It was like the wonderful world of plastic or something. It was all these ways that this miracle material like plastic could be used so did they just burn everything. it a lot so everyone could sniff the burnt plastic? Yeah. Everyone got cancer? Yeah. It's I a- bet you kids were licking it because they were like, the schnozberries taste like schnozberries. <laughs> yeah. The Monsanto house, the attraction at Disneyland, if you look at footage of it now, it's just, it's kind of laughable watching some of this stuff. But they, um, so they, they developed the Rotanon stuff. Meanwhile, the creature tries to go in and finish the job with Doc Thompson, but the, where they start blasting away at it. 
Um, and then we start getting a lot of fishy jazz fingers in this movie. Yeah, a lot of <laughs> a lot of hands fishy coming through holes. Fingers. A lot of hands coming through holes. Um, I just holes. as someone who did study movement, I really do love this movie from a movement perspective. You get a lot of storyline in finger and hand and wrist movements. Yep. Now then, David. David, uh, as the, as they're preparing the mix, the creature goes in for that porthole. David swats it away. Um, and then David then blasts him in the face with the spray, then goes trying again with the securing and it's no good because the creature has avoided it. And he goes for more spray as they go underneath the water. The spray isn't working. The spray isn't working at all. Um, and then the creature grabs Kay and takes her down into the lagoon, into his land, into the, meanwhile, at the creature's black lagoon lair. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. The creature has taken Kay. Um, and, uh, this, for a canoodling under for, the ca- sea. Yeah. And we get supposedly like he's lifting her up, like um, and he's holding her and dragging her through the, the, the little cave area. And this Hot. is probably where she got her, um, head dragged a little bit. Oh. Um, but then they get into a big old fight and guns start a blasting at that creature. And I think that this is the most remarkable part of this film is actually the end of the gill man shot to pieces. And then David goes, hold off, don't do any more. And we just see the creature walking back. So it's like, it's it's so weird because you'd want, you'd assume that the monster would just fall amid the fight. And instead it's given a processional down back to the lagoon where it lives. That's a throwback to the French film La Belle et la Bête, or the French the Beauty and the Beast mm. by Jean Cocteau, because he I've had that bit. Still where never seen this. Thank you for bringing I wanna, this up. Can we watch it together? Yes, we can. I will totally watch it. I would Especially because it's in French and like we that we can like there's cultural. There things. we go. Perfect. But when the monster gets or the beast gets injured it's oh it's very dramatic it's in the chest and he walks backwards very slowly and like and then just sort of disappears into like the mad beautiful curtains that they have all over the house yeah but but (laughs) disappears and then you don't but everybody knows if you don't see them die they're not really dead yeah and that he had to come back for the sequels yeah you, you do see him floating but how do we know he's not sleeping? He's recovering. I was going to say, maybe that's how he recovers. He's not dead. He's getting better. <laughs> um, he's and, prone. Yes, exactly. Now, I want to know from from uh, from your perspective, like how this monster ranks in terms of other universal monsters. In terms Ooh, like of in our personal lists. <clears throat> yeah. It, That's so hard. Because no, I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to lie. Re- no. Rewatching this bumped it up to at least four for me and actually kind of knocked out um, the Wolfman. <laughs> I was actually going to say something similar because it has been a while since I've watched this one and it did hit a lot different this time around. That's because um, we w- pulled all the racism out of it this time. <laughs> but I also include the bride as a monster of her own. Oh, I was going to say yeah. of her own. Not That's in- a good so, one. That's a good And I guess oh. I should clarify. So um, I'd have the Frankensteins at the top, Mr. and Mrs. Mm-hmm. Mr. and Mrs. Gotta of course. got to include Mrs. Pac-Man. She was yeah. more popular. You almost sound like you said Mrs. Pac-Man. <laughs> I did say Mrs. Uh, Pac-Man. <laughs> you heard correctly. So, okay. so then does the creature rank at all? Does he rank yeah, it all in there? For sure. uh, probably. 
I want to say third. third. Yeah. Okay. Three yeah, and third. then Wolfman four. He wait, he made it up. To I f- know that that really like that's I'm, Dracula is a top one for you. Uh, but Invisible Man's my top. Dracula's my second. See? Frankenstein's my third. Creature's now my fourth. I love the Wolfman, but no mummy with Boris Karloff. Eh, it's Dracula that putting bandages. Down. That one's down at the bottom. He's yeah. a good char- He's a good performance. It, ra- just- it rounds it out, but it's oh, just more. Oh, you mean Morris- as a whole, I guess, not the creature itself. Yeah, yeah. I'm, okay. looking, I'm looking at characteristics. I love the Wolfman, and I'm not trying to sink him down to five and without a fight, but the creature, just watching how much was able to be done with that suit from performance and yeah, almost from a, from a mime standpoint to mm-hmm. a certain extent, there's so much to appreciate about that monster. The Wolfman has that same thing, but I feel like we're we're given more of an intention that when he turns into a monster, he's just a monster. And there is tragedy to that. But the creature always looks like the creature. He's, yeah. He lives with this all of his life. So there's something much more heartbreaking about that that I find in terms of like well-rounded characters. The creature is actually like probably among our finest not even a question um but you know the here's the real like the 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 question of the week i guess if i was going to go down the fred allen route does this film still inspire a little terror because i know it's hard with these older universal monster films to be truly scared by yeah, them. Yeah, it was a little campy, but there were moments that were like, I think I would, the tent, I, I think the tent agree. still fucking works. Yeah, I was yeah. going to say, I would agree with the tent as well as like never getting to see the creature in full until about what, like midway through. Yeah. So you get all of this. It could be anything. There are suspenseful moments. Yes. Yeah. And I think that there's also the tension. What I love is that once the boat, once it's been established that the creature can get on the boat, and will be a force to reckon with underneath the water, you're kind of walking on eggshells around that boat and waiting. You're kind of just waiting for the creature to pop up. And I know that it's a trick that not everybody loves anymore in horror films when you have the dramatic music queue up, but if I like it, because I don't like like sudden bursts of like but that that helps us though, because then that 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 gives us an extra kick in the pants for this monster who mm. the makeup is good. It's fantastic. It's perfect. But See, it's but people today are going for utter silence. Yeah. Like if you hear nothing, then your ears start to do weird things. Cause it's trying to figure out if you're going deaf or if you like, or if it's just something in the movie and then they hit you with the like jump scare sound. Yeah. And that, that to me is one of those, one of the fascinating parts of this film is that it still carries the ability to shock because the tropes that it uses from a filmmaking standpoint, we're still using to this minute for like roller coaster horror films, um, like anything that has jump scare after jump scare after jump scare, still uses those techniques in order to get a slight jump out of us. Now, whether or not we're attuned to that to where it doesn't matter to us anymore, uh, or that we still genuinely get shocked by it, they're used for a reason because Odds are it's going to work for somebody and the creature benefits from that because the earlier ones are a little bit more uh, uh, paced of their era for good for good reason. But there's no real jump scare in Frankenstein the same no. way that there is in Creature from the Black Lagoon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's not a bad thing, but I think it is 
a reason why the creature from the Black Lagoon has stood out for so many people beyond its time in theaters. I think that's because like Frankenstein or Frankenstein's monster is like a baby mentally and developing over this arc. And I think you don't get all these other creatures are pre-existing more or less. I mean, the mummy is waking from slumber or whatever, but I think maybe that's why you don't get jump scares in that one. Yeah. Cause it's a, it's like a play on the mind of, you know, this could be your nightmare. Like imagine it sort mm-hmm. of a thing. Yeah. And, um, <clears throat> Now, I want to get into the reception of this film because we've got up. We've had some great points. You ended us on a good one note there. So now let's talk about reception and promotion. So one of the things that we talked about earlier was uh, the allusion to the fact that Bud Westmore was jealous of a woman doing his job better than him. So uh, Millis and Patrick actually went out on a tour um, for uh, the beauty who created the beast, uh, that kind of tour. Okay, yeah. uh, and then Bud Westmore saw that and said, uh, it's it's actually uh, me who did it. I'm, I'm Bud Westmore. And then he gives some like stick figure sketches and he's like, see, look. Yeah. <laughs> Creature. And then the R is backwards and the C-R-E. A is upside down. <laughs> Creature. Uh, so she was actually, after she got off of the tour, she was informed she no longer worked for the studio. I that, see that. That, that makes yeah, sense. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, so unfortunately, Millis and Patrick never worked behind the scenes again on stuff. She did continue what? to act up until her death uh, 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 in later on in life, but she would never do behind the scenes stuff again after that. Could now, you imagine all the beautiful creatures we could have like had? Now, what's weird though is that there was another source online that was talking about her doing makeup work for Universal movies that didn't release until 1956. So my guess is if she is fired after this film comes out in 1954. Um, or after this tour is done, then those films that she worked on were released later. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, what I do know is that the film was well-received. The 3D spectacular was well-received in its time as well. It was enough to instigate Revenge of the Creature, which features an early acting role by Clint Eastwood as a stupid fucking scientist who leaves mice in his pocket. <laughs> And you up. and you look at that and you think, wow, that's that's going to win two best directing Oscars someday. Not one, but two. Anywho, though, one of the other things that I think is funny is that so the monsters were never meant initially to be a franchise. They were built out of Carl Lemley Jr.'s desire to adapt horror stories because he saw the horror stories being done by Lon Chaney, Todd Browning, yada, yada, yada. So you've already established most of your monsters on accident. Wolfman was just part of the trend of like, well, we need another monster. Let's just do this. Well, now you have the dawn of television. How are you going to introduce the creature from the Black Lagoon? Well, the only way I think you could do that is to call on um, a certain Bud and a certain Lou and a certain Colgate Comedy Hour to premiere it. So what they did to promote the appearance of the creature was to actually have the creature with Ben Chapman in the full suit premiere its visage upon the Colgate Comedy Hour with Bud and Lou searching through the Universal Special Effects and Makeup Department, looking at all the past monsters, and then the creature pops out and Comes scares Lou. alive, yep. yeah. And it's it's remarkable. That's, That's a- almost verbatim what happens in Meets Frankenstein because they're in that old yep. museum. 
and they're literally good. That the, is literally what happens. In the that comic movie. setup is essentially the same. Yeah, it's just obviously since it's not film, we're not getting angles. So you are kind of watching the flat version of it. Mm-hmm. I like Colgate Comedy Hour because you can kind of watch vaudeville happening a little bit to a degree. And that that's a good example of Bud and Lou playing around in stage work. Mm-hmm. Um, but this film carried on its legacy throughout the years. Merchandising for this film is insane to the point of a pinball machine. Uh, this film was constantly rescreened over the decades. In the 80s, they did a 3D uh, screening of these films on television and they sold the 3D glasses at places like Burger King and 7-Eleven. Um, and then the creature has always kind of stayed in our consciousness. And then um, a, a boy who loves monsters named Guillermo del Toro. Have you guys heard of him? Once or twice. Sounds familiar. Yeah, he's he, like a small town. Yeah, he yeah. made small small time. He made right? the second Blade movie. <clears throat> yeah. Um, yeah. And um, and a movie called Mimic, which was ruined by an I asshole. I fucking love Mimic. I do too. It's I've never seen it. Unfortunately, Harvey Weinstein ruined that movie. Mm, yeah. um, he ruined no. a lot of stuff. Oh yeah, he ruined a lot of lives and a lot of films. Um, and uh, But no, Guillermo del Toro kind of first dips his toe into this with... Abe Sapien from Hellboy because it's sort of similar. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that character is coming out of Mike Mignola's work, which is also probably inspired by the creature from the Black Lagoon. But in 2017, he had apparently already been developing a creature from the Black Lagoon at Universal, but then that didn't work out. <laughs> but he was allowed to take the concept over to Fox Searchlight Pictures and he makes the shape of water. And in spite of all the odds, nearly... 80 to 90 years later, a monster movie, which I would, cons- it's Fox Searchlight, but Fox is Searchlight isn't the studio anymore. So we could just put Universal's name on it. Like I yeah. can draw the logo on the television. Universal Searchlight. Universal Searchlight Fox uh, <laughs> won an Oscar for best picture. A monster movie won best picture because that is a monster movie. Mm-hmm. I know yeah. it's a romance film. I know it's a sci-fi. But that's adventure. how they got it to win was it was more of a romance it, film. Yeah, but it's a monster movie. It's a monster movie that won a best picture Oscar. And uh, additionally. See, uh, I'm not the only one who sings. Yeah. The design <laughs> the design of the, the creature also, ins- I think David J. Scow, the uh, horror writer, is the one who points this out. He's just like, you you wouldn't have Predator without the creature from the Black Lagoon, the way the oh, Predator totally. looks. totally. Or Alien and stuff like that. Like these these slimy designs. I would like to see a diagram of like each creature and then each one that it inspired. Oh. You know what I mean? Like branching off. I feel like that would be super cool. I want to know what the creature from The Creature Walks Among Us inspired because that thing looks like a weird Frankenstein suit by the end of its trilogy or fucking pan's labyrinth with eyeballs in the hands that was inspired by mark williams's eyes after i tore them out of his skull i'm guillermo del toro (laughs) what is that one motherfucker uh politician real piece of shit i know that's not specific enough he's in i can see okay i I can't remember anyway yeah you (sighs) anyway though McConnell, Mitch McConnell. Oh, Mitch McConnell. Do you ever see there was a meme going around the internet where somebody put Mitch McConnell's face over that creature in Pan's Labyrinth at the dinner table? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they look the same. (laughs) Yep, they do. Um, So now this film has clearly influenced horror films to this day. We still have underwater horror films. 
Uh, we still have we still have monster f monster creatures that like delve into the half man half fish territory. Or just scary water movies. I watched old. I was going to say, can we go? Ooh. Can we do Aqua the Horror? New, uh, the new Shyamalan Ding Dong movie. Yeah. Oh my god, that's what my dad used to call it. There's yeah. also the Jaws. Uh, Jaws, obviously. Yeah. There's so a good one. when we do, because we're going to do a whole season of horror, can we do aquatic horror? Yeah, at some Ooh, point. Deep Blue Sea yeah. is going to be making it. I was going to wait till the end to talk about that, but we're going to talk about what we're doing Sw soon. Sweet. Well, and additionally, I do think that this film carries with it a legacy for, it's a further legacy for Jack Arnold, who we talked yeah. about in the last episode, where Jack Arnold has not only been influential in the sci-fi horror realm or, uh, or just, or, or the Western realm or the noir realm, he created a universal monster under his tenure. He's not the cre it's not like James Whale where he's like actively involved in like that aspect, but Jack Arnold is responsible for creating another monster movie atmosphere. And we got to learn more about Millicent Patrick. And I think that the big part of this story is, is that like how many influential voices, uh, voices in Hollywood were stifled because of gender. And all the time, we're going to talk about that on mm -hmm. our show, literally and in a couple of weeks. And mm -hmm. unfortunately, this is another example of someone's talent being tamped down by one man's jealousy. But mm -hmm. at the same time, now we know her story and now we understand another layer to the creature that we probably wouldn't have known if we were growing up in the 50s and 60s and 70s. But I'd say, though, that there's a loss there because she didn't get to, like, appreciate mm -hmm. her, you know, skill. Because she went to that. Shown art is a very prestigious, like, yeah. art and illustration school. And, and she was a great sculptor and illustrator, which means that's, like, usually Shonar. nowadays. Yeah, Shonar. And she's a Disney alumni. Yeah. Disney and Universal alumni. Yeah. yeah. Like, she's a powerhouse. She's, like, the Edith Head of special effects. I would agree. That's that a good comparison. There, there, is an iconic, there is an iconic visage about that. The Lady from the Black Lagoon, that book that's come out not too long ago, uh, is directly surrounding her life and legacy. So the the creature from the Black Lagoon has always managed to swim right into our hearts like yeah. throughout the decades and years. And I want to thank you both for coming down to talk about the Gladly. creature from the Black Lagoon. We I love, love Universal monster movies. We talk about them all the time. Well, I'll, I'll let you in on a little secret. We're not doing it this year, but when by the time this comes out, we are going to be doing a horror special every year at the beginning of our Merry Movie Miss, which is going to cap off every year. Next We're, year, it'll be Merry Movie Miss, the sequel. Um, we are going to be doing all of the Universal Monsters next Halloween. Ooh. Including all including so, all the Abbott and Costello ones, right? Or no? I might try to pepper those into a She really episode. wants to. Yeah, I think you should. Especially yeah. meet, the killer Boris, do meet the Killer Boris Karloff one. That's a good one. It's yeah. not a monster necessarily, but it's a good one. Um, so. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited for Mary Movie Miss. It. We got some goodies. Yep. Uh, we're in directors right now. We're going to hit, uh, speaking of gender, um, Ida Lupito. Yes. Um, oh, my God. So Thank you. That's what yeah. I meant by in a couple of weeks. We're going to be hitting her yeah. um, pretty soon. So, yeah. yeah. So you've already kind of talked about what you guys have coming up, but remind people where they can find you. Where, where can they find Everywhere. the required viewing? www stands for World Wide Web. Web. <laughs> um, you can also find us on Spotify. 
I guess nobody says the W anymore, do they? Is that no. like an old school thing? Am I just stuck in the nineties? Yeah, well, well, Mark, <laughs> Mark Williams, Mark Williams funded the internet. It was Williams, Williams, Williams dot creature from the Black Lagoon. Absolutely, dot Mark. That oh was the God, first one. Dot Mark, <laughs> first one. Uh, you can find us on Spotify. You can find us on Apple, Google, Google. Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. TikTok. Yep. Everywhere. Google. YouTube. Us, you'll find us. Also. Zach might have a link to us somewhere. Oh yeah, I've got a couple. <laughs> I've got the links. If you if you have a problem, I've got the, go, I've go got... check out the website because that has the link to everything. It, yeah. Literally, there's a button that says all the links, and you can check out the pretty sweet merch that's in there. And um, we've got some cool we got some cool stuff on the horizon. Yeah, that's all. Just to keep yeah. a lookout. Wonderful. Cool. And on that note, thank you guys for coming on the show. That's going to wrap it up for this episode of Yesteryear Ballyhoo Review. You can find out more about us on the back half of the show. Coming up on the program, the Ballyboo continues as we will be talking to James Scully from Breaking Walls Podcast. He's coming back, guys, and we're going to go back to Radio Land. We are going to talk about Mercury Theater on the Air. Starring Orson Welles oh. and his production of Dracula, the very oh, first, oh. the very first Mercury Theater on the air episode. A mere fourteen to fifteen weeks later, they would blow up the entire world right. with War of the Worlds. But right. before that, it was as simple as entering a Transylvanian castle. And you want more vampire talk? We're gonna give you more vampire talk because after that. To conclude the Ballyboo, we're bringing back the one and only Henry Jarvis, and we're going to Nosferatu territory. We're Hell going yeah. to the one that started it all, the German Expressionism. Yeah. yeah. The, the Max Schrecks. Good. Uh, the, the, the forcing to burn all the prints because Bram Stoker's widow was a jerk. and <laughs> But they saved the one, and it's still a masterpiece. And we're going to learn more about it. Um, and additionally, after the Bally Boo is over, stay tuned for more Disney discussion as we will be doing Disney in the 30s with Tyler Maybe and Matthew Murback, along with another trip down Marx Brothers territory. As Damn, dog, where do you have the time? Never, <laughs> never have the time. I don't sleep anymore, Chloe. I know. We're um, going to come back pretty soon, too. Yeah. Yes. A, oh, we have should a standing date. Do you want to tell them? We should do it. We, I think I've kind <clears throat> of talked about this before, but let's just absolutely confirm it with yeah, everybody yeah. here in this room. Do it. You have all heard about the legend of Madam Satan. You have all heard about the legend of Cecil B. DeMille, but you haven't heard of the legend of me sitting down with Aaron Mullane and Chloe Riggs <laughs> to talk Talk about this absolutely fucking insane pre-code era fucking wonderland of madness called I'm Madam Satan. So, so stoked. So get should put ready. that one on the projector. Get ready, folks. That is gonna be the Thanksgiving special. Yes. yes. <laughs> nothing, I, uh, nothing nothing says celebrate Thanksgiving by watching a blimp uh, or Zeppelin burn to the fucking ground yeah. with a bunch of costumed orgy madness. I mean Sounds like the holidays to me. Yeah, that's exactly. That's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. <laughs> yeah, right? Chaos. Um, people are probably yelling at each other. Yeah. Someone's crying. Um, but until all of that, and until next time, folks, good night. And remember, if you find yourself wandering down the Amazon River and you hear <laughs> a tiny bit of a snap of a twig or the flitter of water and the dark eyes of a fish creature just... Sit back, take a deep breath, and remember, there are such things. Good night.
This concludes tonight's episode of Yesteryear Ballyhoo Review. Remember, you can follow us on Twitter at Ballyhoo Review and on Instagram at Ballyhoo Review Pod. Our theme was composed by Matty Ghost. Be sure to check out more of his music on Twitch. Our announcer was Henry Jarvis. Look for him on the Real Nerds Podcast. This is Zach, signing off. Stay tuned for Jack Benny, who follows immediately after station identification. Thank you.